We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. With me, as always, is Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And it is Friday, which means it is a Friday free-for-all mailbag. And I love this day. It's my favorite day of the week. I, I don't know if anybody realizes that or not. but uh, You might have mentioned it once or twice. Yeah, I thought I might. But, you know, for all I the think. newbies in the, in the house, I'm going to make sure I get that out there. A uh, couple things before we jump into uh, all of our listeners slash watcher questions, Brian. We got a programming note. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, you and Sean are going to have a podcast at 1 o'clock Eastern, Eastern time. Mm-hmm. 1 o'clock Eastern time. Um, and you are going to talk about the new hires, the press conference that took place a couple yeah, days ago, things we're, like we're, that, right? We're going to kind of – it's going to be sort of twofold. We're going to give our impressions of the press conference, you right. know, things we learned. Because Sean was there covering it for Irish Breakdown. That he was. And so we'll get his thoughts on everything. And then uh, we're going to go through the, – the bigger pit part of the show is going to be kind of taking the seven new assistants, the new coaches, and ranking them from, you know, sort of the easiest task, most important task, to who has the hardest – job initially like just for 2022 not long term but just who has the toughest task in 2022 and then sort of what are the things each of those coaches have to really focus on getting going in 2022 so it's going to be a fun show it's going to be a fun show and you know we've talked a lot about you know just it's kind of funny like at first it was going to be like three or four new coaches then five then six then seven and it's like next thing you know Marcus Freeman's completely overhauling the program and and that means there's going to be a lot more questions because there's a lot more coaches that we know what they've done at other places we don't know what they've done at our name, so it's going to be a it's going to be a fun discussion. It's like we Sean and I decided to do it like Tuesday, like Monday or Tuesday, and it was like yeah now we're just the anticipation of it, so we're just like chomping at the bit to talk about this. So it's going to be a lot of fun, Excellent. and that's part of our new Saturday afternoon show that we're going to be doing every. Saturday, Sean and I are going to – mostly it'll be Sean and I. Sometimes I may need someone to fill in. He may need someone to fill in. But the plan is for it to mainly be Sean and I to just pick some kind of topic that we're going to discuss. Sometimes we'll agree. Sometimes we may not agree. But it's going to be a lot of fun. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. There was also a little bit of breaking news today, Brian, that I want to touch on before we jump into the questions. The college football playoff committee has announced that there will be no changes uh, over the length of the current contract, which I believe goes to 2026. Does that sound accurate? Well, through 2025. So you can't have a change until 2026. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. but that would be like January of 2026, right? Right. So after the 2025 season is season. over, that's 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 mm-hmm. when the contract is basically up. Now, I would okay. imagine before then, they'll have something worked out as far as what they're going to go to next. But based on the, the the timelines and the things that have gone through, you know, it's a it's a situation where they can't make a change now at right. this point in time. Right. And so what are your thoughts on that? Because for a while there, it felt like change was coming, like it was going mm-hmm. to happen. And, you know, there was the Swarbrick proposal that we hashed out, you know, and just then talked about mm-hmm. and all that. And now nothing. Um, so what are your thoughts on, first of all, the fact that now there is nothing and how does it affect Notre Dame? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is the proposal I think would have passed if it wasn't for Texas and Oklahoma leaving the SEC, leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. And, and the reason I say that is at that point in time, the only hurdle would have been the, the money. And the money was basically tied into different, t- you know, different TV deals and things sure. like that and wanting to get more involved, which I think is it's um, it's a little you know, it's just typical college football stuff, right? It's about right. how can we get the most, make the most money, right? I think that if that's all they had to worry about, that would have been it. What did, what Texas and Oklahoma did by leaving for the SEC is that sort of allowed people that had some reservations that would have maybe otherwise voted for it to sit back and say, hold on a second. Now we have all these other issues we have to discuss. And I think that allowed for a lot more things to get lobbed in like NIL and transfer portal and, you know, player safety. And, you know, now there's just like, okay, now I have a ability to make my voice heard because there was wide acceptance of the 12 team proposal at first. And I think there'd have been some people pressured into it because I believe it had to be a unanimous vote to change it early. Now, the thing that's interesting is the people that kind of wanted to get things accomplished in this deal that didn't, they could be in trouble now because when the new thing happens, there doesn't have to be a unanimous vote the next time. So like, so like, what are we going to do after the contract is over? There does not have to be unanimous vote on that. There needed to be unanimous vote, my understanding is, to change the current contract and okay. get out early gotcha. and make the moves early. Because the original thought was maybe this could go into effect before the other contract was up. And so I think that was kind of – that's where it was interesting. So that was kind of the change – uh, and so now for the 22, 23, 24, and 25 seasons, so the next four seasons, it's still going to be a four-team playoff, which I know a lot of Notre Dame fans have some strong feelings about that in both directions. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The new year is a great time to focus on what's most important to you. Whether it's saving money by ordering less takeout, learning to cook, or prioritizing your wellness, HelloFresh is here to help with endless options to make cooking at home simple and enjoyable. HelloFresh cuts back on time spent in the kitchen so you can spend it on other resolutions with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, quick and easy meals, including 20-minute recipes and low-prep, 
Easy cleanup options provide an even faster route to putting food on the table. HelloFresh is the perfect solution for a family like mine. With five kids and virtually no free time in the calendar, HelloFresh brings us fresh ingredients, easy recipes, all in one convenient package. It even allows for the long-sought-after family time that we love. HelloFresh is something that the whole family loves to prepare and enjoys eating. Just go to HelloFresh.com slash Irish16 and use code Irish16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Irish16 and use code Irish16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Remember, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, uh, do we want to share our feelings yeah, about sure. that or do we want to do a special show yeah, on that? Go for because it. Well, I both. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, look, I, I don't have this as an issue. I, I think um, it depends on the year, to be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes a 14 playoff is more than enough because those teams that are five, six, seven have no business being in the college right. football playoff. This past year, I would have liked a bigger field because I think there was so much parity right. this year. Which this, we this talked about year. before the season. Exactly. And right. that's why we thought Notre Dame had an opportunity to do something special this year. Not because Notre Dame was going to be amazing. Right. I mean, this they was were. not Notre Dame's best team in the last five years, but it was right. the combination of all the, the factors would have, could have given Notre Dame a chance if they would have done things And right it way, which played they, out that way. I mean, I think we could have had a very entertaining 8-12 to 12 team playoff this right. year. More 8-10 to 10 maybe, but still – I think that would have been very entertaining this year. There are other years where that would be like the first round of the NFL playoffs, like blowouts all over the place. Why are we wasting our time with this? Like that kind of a thing. But I think this year, you know, you could have seen a Utah, for example, make some noise, you know, at the end of the year. Sure. Um, You know, you could have seen some teams do some stuff. And I think that would have been exciting. And since Notre Dame was on the outside looking in, Obviously, I'm going to say Notre Dame could have made some noise because I do think they could have. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and so it just depends on the year. Now, you can't put a contract together and be like, well, this year we're going to have eight. But next year, you know, but right. this year we're going to have four. Obviously, right. you can't do that. that. That's not an ideal You have situation. to set the number. You got to right. set the number. And so I guess I'm in favor of expansion to a degree as long as it's done correctly. But I'm fine with four. I'm fine with that because right. – rarely are there more than four teams that deserve to be there. 
And so rarely have there been four teams that deserve to be there. Absolutely. I think the first playoff year you had four that deserved to be there. I think Bama Mm -hmm. deserved to be there. I think Ohio State deserved. Matter of fact, I think that was the year where there were six teams that deserved to be there because you had the four that made it, Bama. You had Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, and Florida State. Now, Florida State wasn't a great team that year, but they ran the table and they were the defending champs. I also think TCU and Baylor were two really good football teams that year. Then 2015, it was maybe three. It was Oklahoma, Clemson, Bama. Michigan State had no business being in the college right. football playoffs. Absolutely right? agree. As far as just, a, I mean, they deserve to be in based on the based on what, rule. But what ex- I'm saying right. is there was a big gap between them exactly. and the top three. 2016, exactly. same situation with Washington. 2017, I felt the number one seed didn't belong in there. And that was Clemson. Like, that was not a very good Clemson team. That was another down year in college football, you know, where you had people arguing that an 11 to 2 Ohio State team that lost by, what, 31, like 30 some points to 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 Iowa should have Iowa, been in the playoffs yeah, that year. Like, that's how bad the field was that year. 2018, I think it was a good four team field. That was a year where you had more than four that had an argument. You had 13 and one Ohio, 12 and one Ohio State that had an argument. You know, Georgia was a two loss team that people were trying to argue should have been, which I thought was absurd. I, had, I thought you had five good teams that year. Definitely not eight. 2019, again, not a great field. I think it was like the to me that year it was a it was a I mean you you can make a case that in 2019 it was a three team field, right? I mean Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU were about it. I mean, there was a big drop off between those three and Oklahoma. Sure. Right. And we saw that when LSU played Oklahoma, they could have hung, they could have hung 90 points on, on, uh, on Oklahoma. I'm not joking. Right. No, I know you're not. Like they, they hung 60 something on them yeah. and they've called off the dogs in the second quarter. They could have hung 90 on Oklahoma in that game. 2020. Again, that was the Notre Dame team that made it in 2020. In my opinion, was not as good as several Notre Dame teams that sure. didn't make it in past sure. years. That's just, the, it wasn't a great field. There was, it was Alabama, and then a big drop off between you know Clemson and L, you know and you know Clemson and Ohio State. I, I, we, I, you know, I don't want to talk too much about that because it's a weird COVID year. I mean, sure. a lot of things will happen. Yeah. And then this year, I thought there was really, to me, as, as I look at like two teams th- that really just yes, that's a playoff team. Yeah. And you're not right. going to like this, Vince, but one of them was Michigan because based on their resume, Michigan. I get it handled their business that's they fine dominated ohio state dominated iowa they handled their business to get they, they were I, I can look at it objectively I right can, i can look I, I can do that i'm a big right. boy i can but do the that the fact that that michigan like team it. was a no-brainer one or two seed says a lot about how bad college football was exactly that's the thing that i'll exactly. say exactly yeah. and so it was one of those down years that happens every four or five years like 2017 2021 where you could make a case for more teams. But when you're making a case for more teams, it's normally because there aren't a lot of great teams. It's never like, wow, there's like nine yeah, teams exactly. that can go win a title. Exactly. There's parity. And that's never been true. Yeah. That's never been true. I mean, I, I did a study on this just kind of for fun one one time, you know, when we were having this conversation. And I remember going back to, you know, the year that Notre Dame made the playoff in 1988 because, you know, like people are complaining about, oh, there's, there's no parity and all this other kind of stuff. and you know, I, I looked at it and I, and I was like, "Look, there, this is ne- this has always been true." And, and it's like there was like I think like eleven different teams won a title in the last however many or played in the playoff. But I went back and or four uh, eleven, and then I went back from like eighty eight to ninety three when Notre Dame was good and looked at the, just the top four rankings at the end of the year. 
and it would have only been like 14 different teams would have made the playoff because you still had Miami every year would have been in it. Notre Dame would have been in it almost every year. Florida State would have been in it a bunch of years. Alabama would have been in it in several years because they had a couple good teams during then. Of course, one of them won a title during that stretch with like Eric Curry and uh, John Copeland, that really good defense that they had, George Teague. And there was not a ton of parity back then either. Or you know what I mean? Like there's it's always college football has always been sort of top heavy. Michigan would have made several playoff runs back then. If you remember, Michigan had some really good teams. Michigan was the best team in the Big Ten back then. There wasn't a lot of parity back then either. You know, and then there there's a lot of teams that wouldn't have deserved to be in it back then either. And you know, it just it it's a frustrating debate, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to money. But yeah, I think the bigger thing course. for me is there's this thought that you know, the 14 playoff isn't good for Notre Dame because they have to go undefeated. That should be gone now because Notre Dame has made the playoff as an as a team with right. a loss. I, I also think that that the other part of it for me, Vince, is there have been two other seasons where if Notre Dame would have just handled their business in November with a loss, they'd have been in. 15 and 17. If no, And handling business means not just beating Stanford in 2015, but right. whooping Wake Forest and Boston College like you should have. Right. If exactly. you whoop those two bad teams like you should have, Oklahoma doesn't pass you. Right. And then you go out on the road and you beat a top five standard team, you definitely don't get passed by Oklahoma. Right. And, and same with 17. You beat Miami and Stanford at the end of the year, Notre Dame's in. Right. And so with a loss. Yeah, with exactly. A loss, by the way. Exactly. Yes. And, and so I just don't buy into this notion that. Notre, Notre Dame's Dame. going to be in the conversation, especially with the schedule that they've got coming up because over it's the next few years. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're going to be in the conversation yeah. even with an early loss. Right. And so I, I have no doubt that that will be the case. And they, again, until Notre Dame is forced to be in a conference championship because of inclusion mm-hmm. in the playoff, they're going to be just fine. And right. they're going to be sailing right along with the way that they're doing things. And right. that's just the way it is, you know? Right. So, yeah, I... <clears throat> Nothing changes for me as far as Notre Dame's inclusion into the playoff. If they handle mm-hmm. their business, they do what they're supposed to do, they're going to be involved if they're a good right. team. I mean, plain and right. simple, right? Well, and then like like the, like a comment like this, like Tyler Bedwell, and I think Tyler's trying to make a good faith argument here, and he says, I think playoff expansion will ultimately spread the top-end talent across the country. It has become so singular where the top town is picking the same four or five schools. Again, always been true. That's always and it's cyclical like every five or six years and that's like, the key like five years six years ago georgia wasn't recruiting like they are now kirby came in and, and changed that right right and, you know like that that's all. i mean there was a stretch where notre dame just dominated recruiting every year from like 87 to like 92 notre dame just dominated recruiting every year miami dominated recruiting florida state dominated recruiting so that's always been true and and, and kids aren't picking schools based off mostly off playoff appearances they're right. picking it off NFL and championships and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So you know if you're a, if you're a, a team that's getting in every year is the 8 or 9 seed and you're getting your brains bit in the first round that's not going to all of a sudden say ha I'm going to go to Pitt because right. they get in every year and get crushed. So right. I'm going to go to Pitt instead of going to Notre Dame. I, I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think it, it, you know, I don't, I don't think it moves the needle at all. Because the, the well, reason I say that, Tyler, is because I don't think expanding the playoff truly increases the number of teams that actually have a shot to win it. I agree as well. That, yeah. that it's not like college basketball. Oh, and well, even college basketball, to a degree, just because a team makes the college football, I mean, college, the March Madness every year, right? Because there's 68 teams that make March Madness, and there's perennial teams that make it every year. Okay, for example. I'll just throw it out there. Like Wichita State, for example. They're always a darling in the, in the tournament, right? The big-name players aren't going to Wichita yeah. State because they're in the tournament every year. 
right? No, the closest still... thing you could argue is Gonzaga, but Gonzaga's been good for like 30 years. Yes, absolutely. And they're just now starting to get some of those some of those big guys, big name big players names, in the right. last like six, seven years. Right. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. And, and like Loyola Chicago didn't all of a sudden start getting, you know, five star players or top hundred because players they made or, run or two because yeah. they went to the Final Four. Right. Right. You know, right. and it just it's just not the way that it works. Correct. If you prove yourself capable over a period of time, that's when you can start moving sure. the needle from a recruiting standpoint. Like, you know, the first time Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame makes it, then that moves the needle because Notre Dame's a big time program. Sure. It's not going to turn Kentucky into a perennial contender because now all of a sudden there's college football playoff expansion and they're just going to start getting all these much, much better players right. beating Bama for guys. It's, it's not the way that it works. It's, you know, for Notre Dame, it's about, it's about winning. Handle your business and Notre Dame gets in. And that's, you know, that's at the end of the day, that's, and again, I, I like where Tyler's coming from. As do I. I, I like think parody. his head's in the right place. You want, no, I don't like parody. Well, I like a compet. I like it. Here's, here's the reason I like parody. Parody is forced, in my opinion. Salary caps, you know, draft order for the best teams, worst teams, the best teams. What I like is is creating a playing field that if you're willing to do the work, you can be successful. And and, and to me, when it, when the when college football has become just so much about who has the most money, and then you create rules like like the way that the playoffs are, the transfer rule, the NIL, you're you're making it far less uh, of an even playing field. So like, to me, the thing I don't like is I don't like, cause I feel like parody, like in professional sports Vince, when you think of parody, it's you're punishing the teams that have had success. Yes. That's not how I look at parody. That, right. was, that and, wasn't my definition of parody. Right. Mine and, is I like to see some other guy, some other teams sure. in there. I like more, sure. you know what I mean? That's what I right. see is parody. I see what you're saying. What I want is a product of what you're saying. Yeah. Is that the best way to say yes. that? You know what I mean? Yes. I like yes. having more more teams and more names yeah. out there. That I like having more competitive games yes. in the regular season. Absolutely. You know, like I'm yes. I'm looking at some all 22 of Ohio State, and I'm just looking at their margin of victory last year, and it's just like, like they played no good games. Right, and, exactly. and Because there's a big drop-off between the haves and the have-nots. and No question. Because there's so much more money involved in it now. And so, to me, it, it's about let's try to find some ways to even the playing field that way as opposed to doing things that are going to hurt the best teams. Like people talked about, you know, coming up with coaching salary caps. Like, why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, no, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the answer. That's not going to change anything, you know? And, you know, I, I think that the 12, and the thing I like about the 12 team playoff compared to eight, I'm anti eight is because number one, let's, let's get away from anything beyond four expanding the number of teams that can make a can win a championship. Okay. Again, this isn't college basketball. The number nine seeds, not going to go make a run to the championship game. Right. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You know, it, it just, it doesn't happen in college football. Rarely will you see that. I think there's been, I'd say in the last 10 years, there's one team that I thought would have entered as an eight or nine seed and made a run. And honestly, that was USC in 2016, but they made a, remember they, they started off one and three. And made a quarterback change to Sam Darnold by the end of the year. That was as good a team as anybody. Just about. That's about the only the only exception okay. to, to that, right? Like, and you're always going to have that occasional exception. Absolutely. But that occasional exception isn't worth expanding to the playoff. You're expanding the playoff to create more opportunities to play on a big stage, not to compete for a championship. Right. Let's well, it's like honest. I said, I, so, for the for the example that I use with Utah, right? This right. past year, would they have made some noise? 
They might yes. have won a game. Do I yeah. think that they would have won the championship? No. Right. I won three games? That. No. Right. No. That's what I'm saying. So like, that's yeah. what I like 12 over eight because right. if you're gonna right. if you're gonna give more teams a chance to play on a big stage, let's really go in and go 12. You go, you start going to 16 and you really cheapen it. Like that, like so there's a there's a happy medium to it. Right. I still contend that the best way to make the whole game better is my proposal, which is get rid of the college football playoff tie-ins to the regular season and bowl games, have the regular season and the conference championship games be about who gets into what conference bowl game. And then after the bowl games, you pick your four. I still say that's the best way to do it. Where you end up, your goal, if you're Ohio State, you have one goal, get to the Rose Bowl. Because if you don't get to the Rose Bowl, it's going to be really hard for you to get in the playoff. Sure, sure. Right? And so you get back to having that pride in playing in the Rose Bowl. Right? If you're in the SEC, it's getting back to playing in the in, in, in the Orange Bowl. You know, give your guys something more to play beyond just a championship. I think those are the things. And then you start getting into some of these eight, nine seed teams, Vince, that, like you said about Utah, I think this is where a Utah example is great. Yeah. Because Utah doesn't have a chance to go from like nine to four with a win over Ohio State in the right. Rose Bowl. But what they can do is knock Ohio State out. And so what that does too is you have more teams, any you have more teams with a chance to finish the season with a win. Right. That's the thing I hate about the 12 team playoff is 11 teams that were really good this year are going to end their season with a loss. Yeah. And I don't like that. Yeah, that's true. You know, whereas in a bowl system, we've talked know, about half, that a yeah, lot. Half about, the teams yeah. in the that bowl game are going to are going to win, you know, the a game and then some of them are going to win and not make it. So you have a chance for more teams to do it. So for me, I, I I think there's a lot. I I my small, you know, sliver of hope is that now that there's what five seasons before this changes, I, I think is 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 maybe there's a small glimmer of hope that we finally get some leadership in place that cares about making the game better as opposed to how can we make the absolute most money. That would be nice. I don't think it's going to happen. But at least there's a greater sliver of hope for that now than there was two months ago when it was because once you expand to 12, there's no shrinking. There's no there's no going back to that. Right. That that's my thing. It's like you're never going to get rid of a playoff. It just makes too much money. So how can we make the playoff better to where, you know, it, it, it we, we get back to a regular season right. that matters. Encourage right. teams to, 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 to do stronger schedules, you know. Don't count FCS games towards your, your resume. You know, say I mean, there's all types of things you could do to encourage that. That that I think would I would love to see the focus be on over the college football playoffs. So anyway, that's enough of that for now. We had a great call, talk about that. I know there's a lot of questions. There are a ton, and we're going to start with a couple super chats here, uh, Brian. Here we go from Toe Jam right off the bat. Excuse me, thank you, Toe Jam. It says Happy Friday, Brian and Vince with BK's proclivity. For turning purple along with the purple colors of LSU. What character do you think best represents Brian Kelly? Grimace, Barney, or the purple Teletubby? That is so mean. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, we talking like personality or just the. Well, I'd probably go Teletubby because the Teletubbies are small and short. Ooh. <laughs> I'm just gonna let that one slide. That's good. It's well done. It's well done. I'm gonna you gotta let... give an answer, Vince. Uh, I hate Barney. 
for so okay. many reasons. Yeah, that's right. You have children. So in I'm that, going yeah. with Barney. Okay. okay. Um, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, Jeffrey Joseph, thank you for the super chat. Very much appreciate that. Let's see. AST12321. Thank you for the super chat. If Dante said he was going to make a decision tomorrow, do you think Andy would have better than a 50 50 uh, chance to be the choice? Do you want yes. me to save that for? No, just, uh, it's an easy my, answer. Yes. I think it is yes as well. Yeah, I've, but... I've been, I've been very, this has been my opinion okay. for a long time. I think gotcha. Notre Dame's in a much better chance to get Dante than, than people think. Now it's about closing. And that's, go. that's what I'm unsure of. Can they close? That's the uncertainty. Right. But there's never been a doubt in my mind that, that Notre Dame has been in a great position for him. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. One more super chat, and then we will run into the others. Michael S., thank you very much. Isn't Rick Minter a better comparison to Golden? He had success in Notre Dame, got a head coaching job at Cincinnati, failed, returned to Notre Dame as defensive coordinator for Weiss, and failed. Uh, Min equals – oh, uh, Minter equals Golden. Yeah, I don't I don't really think Rick Minter had a lot of success at Notre Dame, to be complete. I mean, he was part of some good teams. But, no, I, I, don't, I don't think Rick Minter was is, – is a comparison at all. I think number one, when you look at Rick Mentor, his first stint at Notre Dame was what ninety two and ninety three. He inherited some pretty good situations. His task was don't screw it up, yeah. right? And and you know, there's I, I know a lot of people that would say you know the, the job that Rick Mentor did in nineteen ninety two was not great. You know, I mean they they weren't as good as they should have been on off defense. I mean they gave up 31 points in a in a, a win over Michigan State, gave up 33 points in a home loss to Stanford. You know, I, I I don't know if that team was necessarily loaded. And I know a lot of people that look at that 1993 team and say that team didn't achieve the success it should have on defense either, especially when you look at the Boston College game. Got completely outcoached yeah. by Tom Coughlin and his staff in that game against Boston College. So, And the other thing, too, is he didn't really have a great – any he didn't really have success at Cincinnati where I look at the success that, that, that Ralph Golden had at Temple. And, you know, that, that was, that was impressive what he did there. And yeah. Miami's just a different situation, but uh, no, I don't think that's a fair comparison at all. At, at all. Scott Yerbick question, which coaching new hire do you think will have the biggest impact on the team? Well, uh, for me, it's Harry. He I mean, that's, that's the biggest one for me. I could make an argument for maybe a chance he's stucky. You know, that I could but, make that argument. But I think where I think you're right, Vince, is he said biggest impact on the team. Okay. Yeah. Right. So Fair, it's yeah, not that point. position, it's that team. And there's no position on yeah. offense other than quarterback that has a bigger impact on the team than the offensive line. And right. as we've seen in the past, the offensive line can make the defensive line better too with that battle. So I think you're absolutely right, yeah. Vince. I I, I think because again. It's it's specific to answering the question. Yeah, good point. Right? Yeah, no. You, they, when you frame it that way, which is duh. Yeah, that's absolutely well, that's what, that was your instinct. Line. Yeah, that's kind of what I think you immediately went to. Yeah, Harry. absolutely. Because he affects the run game. It affects the passing game. It affects the defensive line, like you mentioned. It so, affects yeah. the demeanor of your football. Team. Absolutely. When you've got an offensive line that is just mean in a good way. Okay, I want people to understand that. When they're just nasty and they're mean, it rubs off on the team. I'm telling you, and it gets running backs fired up to run behind them, and it, it just all of the above. So yeah, it's it's definitely Harry Heisman for me. Giddy Pig Clips. What is some Mark- of these names? I know, it's okay. are so great. People are um, getting real creative. I will yeah. give them that. 
what is Marcus Freeman's floor in 2022? That's a really good question. Yeah. I think when I look at the schedule, I say the floor is nine and three. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you I, asked. You you said it in a way of I asking did. and then pause, which no, gave no. me a chance I, to ask. I wanted you to answer so. first. I was yeah. just hoping we'd be different. That's all. But yeah, nine and three is the floor for me. People too. think that we just, you agree with me because I bully you into agreeing with me. No, <laughs> Vince and I have been friends long enough. Part of the reason we became friends is because right. we see eye to eye on a lot of things. Right, right. So, but yes, no, I, I agree with you. I think that's the floor. Uh, I hope that's the floor of some, you know, but again, a million things can happen that are out of market. Because what that would mean is you lose to the two best teams in your schedule, right? Ohio State and Clemson. Right. And then you drop a USC or a BYU or something. I mean, so basically, like to me, I look at there's four games that I say are kind of somewhat concerning for me, and it's it's Ohio State, BYU, Clemson, and USC. USC, yeah. You can maybe talk about North Carolina, but I mean, if if you lose to North Carolina, there's some problems. Yeah, you know, because right? we we've we've talked about North Carolina a lot over the past two years, and. Notre Dame has their number. I'll just, I'll right. just say it. I mean, and I, their their talent levels go yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. Offense, right? And that they that, did make a new defensive coordinator hire, which, which is, is important for them, right? Um, but right. Gene, I don't know if Gene Chizik is like that that <laughs> huge upgrade over <laughs> Jay Bateman, but but yeah, you know. But I, essentially, nine and three is you go one and three against those teams, or you go two and two against those teams, which isn't great. And you have an upset somewhere. Yeah. North Carolina, right? Like that's where right. DC at home or something like that is where you have that upset. But I think the top of the schedule's tougher than it's been in years. Sure. There's still a lot of bottom wins feeders on the schedule. <laughs> bottom feeders is me. Right. Wins. There's I like a, that. There's a lot of wins on the schedule yes. still. Agreed. Yeah. A lot of just show up and don't screw it up wins <laughs> right. on the schedule still. Q Kibbs. Uh, though the 2016 season was bad, there were a lot of positive dominoes to fall from it in the coming years. If Notre Dame goes, say, 10-2 and two that year, is Notre Dame football in a better or worse place today? Fun thought. Hmm. I think they're in a worse place today because I don't think yeah. they make the changes that they that he needed to make. And I also think that Brian Kelly's still the head coach. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so I... As, as painful as the 2016 season was, when you look at it in hindsight, it benefited the program in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're you're 100 right, Vince. I mean, yeah. remember when I said when I was on the Bill King show after that season, and I said this is either going to be the the end of Brian Kelly's career, it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to him. Yeah, and it ended up being the best thing that ever happened for him because he he was forced begrudgingly to make changes. And exactly. he didn't even make all the changes. Right. I've said this before. Right. Jack Swarbrick and Chad Clunder drove the push to get Mike Elko and Chip Long, not Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly was looking for other jobs. Yeah. And then when he couldn't get any, he came back to Notre Dame. Right. And he reaped the rewards of what mainly Jack Swarbrick what and other Mike people's Elko work were doing. Yeah, exactly. There you yeah. go. Yep. It's funny how the truth comes out. Not mm-hmm. that it wasn't out before, because it was. It just wasn't, you know, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- I'm going to go with a fun one that's a little bit more down the road here uh, from Leonidas Spartan Kick. Brian and Vince, were you able to get out of your driveway this morning? I didn't even I, try. I was because I'm yeah. obviously not at home, uh, right. but that's because I took care of the driveway this morning at about 7 a.m. And so I was that guy with the snowblower. I don't see how you have five kids and not one of them could go out there and show <laughs> You have a teenage son and he, you still got to do the driveway. That's uh, a mess. It's, you know that's why? I'll give you one reason. Peace and quiet. No, oh, I enjoy okay. it. 
I enjoy it. So, and I was a little snowblower, so we're good. But anyway, I wanted to bring that one up just for fun. Back to the top, Q Kibbs. Brian, how does the organization of off-season workouts go? I love the peek behind the curtain stuff. Mm-hmm. Does Reese give Buckner a binder of things to work on, and it's up to them to coordinate? Always curious on that if you have insights. I mean, it's different for every team, but normally there's some sort of guidance that you give. You can't mandate it, though. You can't say you have to do this, this, and this because that's this time and at this place allowed, right? and all that. Yeah. The 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 main thing is is Buckner is being is like the other players in the weight room and they're being pushed in those regards. But then it's like, hey, look, we want to have X number seven on sevens. You know, make sure you're not overdoing how much you throw. Work on our stuff. You know what I mean? Like, make sure right. you're you're running our plays, and, and the staff will get them. You know, time right. in the indoor facility. Right. You know that kind of stuff. I mean, they. You know, right? They're allowed to go work out in there because right. they're at right. So, I mean, there's, but all that stuff has to be organized by the players, right? right? As as Q Kids kind of alluded to, there's O line D line workouts. They they do conditioning things together. There's a lot of things that the players do, do together, which is why we've said in the past, why the winner is when your leadership starts to emerge. Right. It's because, like, who's leading those charges? Right. And trust me, the coaches know who's doing that. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they know who's doing that, fans. And, and you and I both know that, even at the high school level. I see it every and, day yeah, when we're in the yeah, way. Right. You, you know. You yep. know. And, and so you you also find out a lot about your team. Like, how many guys were at the seven? I mean, we have enough receivers to throw the ball. Okay. Well, that's up to you to fix that because I can't fix it as your coach. I can't exactly. mandate guys be there. I mean, and there's little but, things. But, that you, but see, you like, learn about yeah. your players. Though, like, 100%. oh, okay, so-and-so hasn't been any of the seven-on-sevens. Nope. Okay, good to know. Who's who's sitting down between reps in the weight room? Right. You Look, can't say anything to them because then it looks like you're not playing because you didn't go to voluntary workouts. But trust me, tax <laughs> decision. Uh, my, my favorite is the, uh, the voluntary – workouts right they're, they're voluntary but they're not i mean we're all and i tell the i i actually tell my kids this and it's the same thing i'm always evaluating mm-hmm. i'm always evaluating yes we have tryouts from this day to this day whatever it's the official tryouts whatever but guess what unless something crazy happens i know exactly who i'm coming out of camp with right mm-hmm. i'm always evaluating and it's the same thing on any team and it's the same thing for the notre dame coaches in the winter time they're always evaluating. They're talking to Coach Bayless and his staff. They're always evaluating, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a constant thing. And mm-hmm. that's what keeps kids on their toes, too. You know what I mean? It, it, right. It, it prevents complacency. And that's that's right. what I like. So that's a really good that's question. Good question. Yeah. I love that behind the scenes but stuff. But no, but the one thing is you can't give a binder of what to do. That is – that is. Right. That is an official kind of here's what you're supposed to do. You can give a binder of, hey, here's the kind of workout you need to do. And you can tell kids if you're working out on your own, here's what you would need to do to work out on your own. But you can't mandate certain things. Right. I, I don't believe you can give that. Maybe the rules have changed since I was coaching where you can now like, <clears throat> hey, here's some seven on seven plays to run. I, right. I don't know if that's allowed, but it wasn't when I was when I was coaching. Which would make sense. Yeah. God Country Notre Dame barbecue. Can you talk about why Jimmy Clausen didn't have success in the NFL? I always thought he was a great talent at Notre Dame. Was it an attitude, work ethic, system he played in, or something else? I think there's a several things. Number one is he never recovered from the foot. I mean, I've been told that he had, like, torn ligaments in his foot. Like, his foot was in bad shape in 2009. And he never recovered from that. And he wasn't a very athletic guy anyway. And I also think that that Jimmy wasn't really a, a great leader. 
but I think the and, and he didn't have a great arm. He was accurate, accurate. And precise, yeah. and as a college quarterback was very good. But I think a lack of size, he wasn't the biggest guy, and right. the lack of mobility combined with not having a cannon for an arm had as much to do with like with his attitude. I mean, we've seen guys with crap attitudes hang around for a long time in the NFL. Jeff George, um, you know, so I don't think that's why Jimmy didn't last. I think Jimmy didn't last because he couldn't move in the pocket and and wasn't a real big guy. If you're going to be a smaller guy, you have to be able to move around a little bit. Right? Yeah, or, I mean, or, talking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you don't have to be – Collar Murray, but you have to be able to maneuver in the pocket. And you got to be Drew never, Brees. You got, yeah. you know, you Drew Brees Jimmy was never, was a, never great in the pocket, right? Ever. Right. I mean, he just could get rid of the ball so quickly. When the NFL, those windows aren't there to just right. get rid of it all the time. You have to manipulate the pocket. And I just don't think Jimmy could do that. But his attitude didn't help. No, it didn't. No, I, that I will agree with. Nate W. Every time Dante Moore is mentioned in the show, Vince voices his desire to wear Michigan clothing. Is anyone else worried about Vince? Being Actually, I had to talk Vince fan. into that, Nate. I had to talk Vince into wearing it. He said no at first. There is no worry about me being a closet Michigan fan, okay? I literally stayed in the hotel room when my <laughs> brother-in-law graduated from the University of Michigan, and the graduation ceremony was in the big house. I volunteered to stay in the hotel room with my twin daughters, who were like infants, and my son, who was like three, Okay. For like five hours in a hotel room with three little itty bitty kids. Okay. Because I didn't want to go. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Okay. The only time I've ever talked myself into going to the big house is when Notre Dame is playing. Okay. So I'm sorry. I have Michigan friends, you know, Michigan fan friends. I am never going to be a Michigan fan. It's just never going to happen. So Nate, mm-hmm. I appreciate the effort, but no, don't ever be worried about that. Nope. Oh, I want to save that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> save go. that one for ryan yeah yeah i mean yeah. it starts with the nfl draft yep. of course i'm gonna save yep. that one for ryan uh, i have the same reaction <laughs> yeah exactly oh, hold on now for ryan when ryan gets here <laughs> absolutely yeah. john a1 can tyler buckner be better for notre dame than taj boyd was for clemson can tyler match the production average of 3800 yards passing 500 yards rushing per season for three consecutive seasons it's a good question well, I don't know if he'll, you know, the 3,800 yards, a lot of that's kind of, a lot of that's kind of subjective a little bit, to mm-hmm. be honest with you, in my opinion, because it's just, it's a different type of offense. You know, that was the spread offense and, and things like that. I mean, my gut is to say, yes, he can, right? Because I, I think he's a, a better talent than Taj Boyd was. I do too. But, you know, he also, Taj was also thrown to like, you know, Sammy Watkins and DeAndre Hopkins sure. and Davis Bryan. And I mean, he, here's the receivers that he threw to and during his career. He's got weapons, but yeah. Right. Those Sammy Watkins, moves. DeAndre Hopkins, Dwayne Allen. Uh, let's see here. Martavis Bryant, Adam Humphreys. I mean, these are all NFL dudes, you know? I mean, so, and it, again, it was a spread offense. There was a lot of stuff where he was throwing the ball and it was screens and, things like that. So, I mean, my, my, my thought would, my, my initial reaction is I don't really care as much about the numbers per se. Right. I care more about the production and in regards to the offense as a whole, you you know what I mean? And so sometimes Tyler Buckner's success is going to lead to teams overplaying him, which then opens up exactly opportunities for you to run for 250 yards as a team. Or maybe you look at Tyler Buckner's production and you're like, yeah, he didn't put up monster numbers in this game, 
but his impact was clearly felt because it opened up other opportunities. So I don't want to get tied in, John, to a specific stat line, but I do like the thought that you look at and say, you know, thinking of Taj Boyd, smaller, run-first guy that developed as a passer. I think Taj was an underrated thrower of the football during his career. You know, but you look at his first year, you know, they threw 409 – he threw 499 passes in his first year at Clemson. That's a lot of passes. I mean, that's a lot of passes. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would, if I would say that, you know, Tyler Buckner's ever going to throw anywhere close to 499 passes. I mean, you look at this year, there was only six quarterbacks in all of college football that threw more than 499 passes. You know, Jack Cohn had 386. I mean, if you look at Notre Dame's whole team combined this year, and I don't think they had 499 passes. They had 451. And that included throwing 68 times in a bowl game. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, even on a team that couldn't really run the ball that effectively, Notre Dame still only, as a team, only threw 451 passes. 362 last year, 416 the year before wow. that, 418 the year before Feels that. Feels like it to be a bigger number than that, but yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. I mean, 388 in 2016, 384 in 2000. In 2015, even the year Everett was the quarterback, they only that was the most they've ever thrown was 463 times, and there were some games where they threw the ball a lot. Yeah, so they threw the ball a ton because again, it was a traditional spread offense that threw a lot of bubble screens, threw a lot of tunnel screens. You know, just that's going to add to the the production. You know, maybe maybe he can get there. I mean, look, is he capable of getting it? Yeah. Talent wise, of course. It, my concerns, John, are more system related, you know, cause I think Notre Dame, I think is a team that would like to be a better running team than Clemson was during that time. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's kind of, I mean, in the three years that Taj is a starter, they ran for 158 yards and 4.2 per carry. The next year is 191 and 4.2 yards per carry. A lot of that was Taj. The next year, they're 175 yards per per game, 4.2 yards per carry. So, you know, it wasn't really till Deshaun took over in 2015 that the run game really took off. So, I think that balances it out too. You know, if you're, you know, even if they have the same number of yards, if you're getting 20, 30, 40 more yards per game rushing, that's over the course of the year, it's almost 500 yards if you're yeah. at 40 yards a game. You know, just yeah. the regular season. So, you know, that that takes away from that passing stat, right? And, and, and does other things. So, but I think the impact could be similar, but I think Tyler's a more dynamic player than Taj was yes, just I, ta- I, talent wise, talent wise. Yes, I mean, right. I'm not saying he's a better player than a guy that for, I think, I think John, you know, I love Taj Boyd. I mean, I've talked about Taj Boyd a ton of times, how he actually got that Clemson ball rolling. And then Deshaun built on that, you know, and, and but I think Tyler, I think Tyler Buckner has more natural ability than Taj Boyd had, especially as a passer, especially as a passer. Here's one for about Tyler Buckner again. Has there been any word on Buckner's progress? I don't think there will be any until we see what's going on during the spring, right? No, there won't be. Yeah. I mean, well, I've seen this question asked a bunch. That's why he's I working hard up. in the weight room. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, right. There, there's, there's not going to be any, anything. I mean, and honestly, I've heard some, oh, so-and-so looks great in seven-on-seven. Seven. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Well, remember, seven-on-seven seven doesn't matter, Brian. Right. Oh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> I had to go don't there. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> I had to go there. 
All right, John, with another question. Will Houston Griffith be battling Joseph or Henderson based on skill set? Which safety pairing is the most complimentary? Well, I think he'd probably, based on what we saw last year, probably be in the same position that that, that Houston Brandon Joseph was based on last year. But honestly, I, I don't think that I don't think it matters. This look, the skill set is find the two best safeties. Right, exactly. I mean, it's really interchangeable in a lot of ways. So I, I wouldn't look at it like that. It's they're going to find the two best safeties, John. Right. And if if you know if Houston's the third safety, it, then it comes down to okay, who do they want to take off the field the most? Is it Ramon or Joseph, or is it both? And then it's a three man rotation. Because if you're going to play four safeties and Houston's your third guy and there's a clear difference between one and two, you're going to want to keep one on the field more. Yeah. And then that means, you know, two and three are going to rotate more. So I don't think I don't think it'll be based on skill. So I think it's about who is going to be the who who goes out there and proves to be the most effective, most capable of making plays. Most versatile. Essentially, I mean, high level. All but of I, those I, I don't know if the versatility personally, I don't think versatility matters as much because I think that they're all kind of like him and DJ are kind of the same guy in some ways. And the, the safety positions are so naturally interchangeable. Okay. You know, but I think, I think that, you know what, where I think of uh, uh, what I would say, I think whoever proves to be the least limited. How about that Vince? Okay. Meaning okay. like, it, cause to your point, like if I think that's what where you're getting at yeah. is like, if one guy can only play the alley. Exactly. Exactly. Then, then he's limited. It's not that he's versatile because I wouldn't call it versatile. I think you could. You, that's what you got to do to be able to play in this defense, right? And so that guy might be more limited. I think that might yeah, be a, and, a, a and, more a better way to describe it. And from a versatility standpoint, I guess, or or a limited standpoint, it's also you know what do they do when they want to go nickel? Are they going to bring in a corner? Are they going to bring in a third safety? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? And and with least amount of movement on and off the field as possible, you know, things like that. So. Um, I, I think that's going to be a really fun thing to watch in the spring to see mm-hmm. as they kind of go through that and start to get a feel for who's going to be where, what does that nickel look like, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I think because I think you do have a legitimate shot of having a third safety on the field as opposed to a third corner. Right. I, I think that's a legitimate possibility. So, Especially against certain offenses. Yeah. Exactly, yes. And and that's the other thing about Notre Dame not being in a conference is you you jump from conference to conference to conference, so you're jumping from different offense to different offense to different offense, and you're going to have different guys out there helping you out at different times, right? And you obviously throw triple option into the mix as well. So, yeah, I, I think all three of those guys are going to play, but it's going to be interesting to see who kind of rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. JoJo yeah. says, happy Friday, guys. Hi, Brian. Which tag team would you prefer, Moore and Tate? Or Harris and Downs. Hmm. Morn Tate or Harris and Downs. I'm gonna have to go with Harris, AJ Harris. I'm gonna have to go with Morn Tate. It's it's about, I mean, it's about the quarterback. I mean, no, Notre Dame's gonna have good players in those positions. They have to have a quarterback. It 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 it, it has to be quarterback. That's it where does. I would go as well. We we have talked so many times about quarterback. And how they need a dynamic quarterback and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? It's all the mm-hmm. stuff we've talked about. I can't sit here with a good conscience and not pick the dynamic quarterback. Right. I, I just, and then you bring in another a dynamic wide receiver along mm-hmm. with them. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. That, that's the direction I have to go as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Cliff says, what's the realistic jump in production for the O-line and how do you quantify it besides the eye test? 
Well, I think they can make a big jump for a minute. I think, look, if Jeff Quinn was still here, I think the offensive line would be better next year than it was this year. Just from because an experience standpoint. Blake's going to be going into year two. Joe Walt's going into year two. Let's just assume, uh, um, let's just assume for a second that, that Jared Patterson still came back. Just right. I still think you would have seen a better line. Now the question is, is how much better will this line be than that improved line would have been? Yeah, exactly. Right? So, and so you're measuring against something that you don't know the answer to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and so, you know, I I feel I feel that uh, it's going to be significant. And the way to quantify it, I think there are things you look for efficiency numbers. And to me, efficiency is best measured by yards per play. Uh, is 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 the most easy way to look at it, just stats that you can look at. And then then you go beyond to, to the true efficiency numbers, like, you know, how many of your carriers are going for at least four yards or picking up a first down, that kind of thing, you know. And the efficiency numbers are important because, like, the 2017 offensive line, for example, produced a great run game numbers-wise, but it wasn't a super efficient offense because of the backs weren't as good. And, and so because Josh Adams was prone to too many two-yard losses because he was so – undecisive at times you know and different things like that not maybe 2017 be a bad example but like 2018 there are years where the yards per carry by the starter was good but it was good because they had like a 97 yard run and cj prosize is probably the best example of that he was a home run hitter that had a great yards per carry but he wasn't great really super efficient you know and that's kind of the thing that we've we've kind of focused on uh so i think those are ways you do it you know sacks what I would say is like non-third down sacks is a way to evaluate because sometimes third down sacks can be a little misleading. It's third nine, the quarterback stays in the pocket and he's kind of looking downfield. I think if Tyler Buckner's a starter, the sack numbers are can be misleading. And you're gonna have to look at pocket sacks, you know, compared to just overall sacks, because there's gonna be time that Tyler's gonna have time, but he's gonna scramble and run around and run himself into a sack. That just happens with mobile quarterbacks. And and so those are some things you have to kind of think about, but it's really going to come down to yards per play more so than yards per game, in my opinion. But in this specific year, there needs to be a big jump in yards per game as well because they didn't run the football at all last year. John, with his final question of the day, he says, if Chance Tucker has the speed the staff thinks he has, what is his ceiling? Would it be higher than Barnes or Riley? Hmm. I think it would be higher than Riley. So I think what Barnes does is Barnes makes up for the difference in speed and length. He's and so instincts. long. He's so long. So uh, to your point, though, if Chance Tucker has the speed the staff thinks he does, would his ceiling be higher than those two? I think it'd be higher than Philip Riley's for sure. Because here's the about Chance. The one thing I never questioned about Chance was he is a smooth athlete, but he has a very high football IQ. One thing I noticed about him in high school is Chance gets his hands on a lot of passes in high school, right? And I wish we could have seen more of him as a senior. Yeah, right. You know, Kobe, he I think he played in the spring, but it was like just a few games yeah. because of COVID. But can never keep that, those straight who got what and what. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he was a super instinctive guy. The only question I had was, can he run? And it was because he played so much press, and I just wasn't sure about that. But if 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 he's if they're right about his speed and he can stay healthy because he was banged up a lot this year. I would say he has a higher ceiling than Philip. I think Philip ceiling, Philip Riley of all the corners last year has the highest floor by far. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's does he have the ceiling? 
that's that's the question. And and I think Chance has a high ce- higher ceiling potentially if if he is as fast because like based on my recruiting grades, his ceiling isn't high as Philip Riley's. But that's working with the premise that I'm not sure how fast he is. Right. John's comment is if he's as fast as the staff says he is, then that changes my perception of him sure. based on what my grade was as a high school player. Because you always have to go with new data, new realities. I mean, I can't continue to evaluate Will Fuller based on what he was in high school because he got faster at Notre Dame. <laughs> that changes crazy. your evaluation of him, crazy. right? And so to me, that would be my thing is, yes, I I, I think if Chance is is as fast as, the, as people tell me he is, he could be starting quarterback in the cornerback in Notre Dame. And, and I don't say that just like, well, anyone can start. But like he could be a good play, like a guy that can go start for you and run with some people because the instincts is there. The toughness is there. The ball skills are there. My only question has always ever been speed. So that was, I mean, that's really all I ever really kind of got up, got caught up in. Corey Flynn hearing Freeman has been consulting Lou Holtz during his presser was music to my ears. Yeah. We had a couple people mention that, but yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that, Brian. I'm sorry, but it seems to me, Head coach at Notre Dame 101 is you reach out to the guys that you have the ability to reach out to, right? Mm-hmm. And Lou Holtz would be the number one on my list, mm-hmm. right? He took over a program that wasn't very good. He's a motivational guy. He's obviously got some good ideas. Now, as the game passed him by it, sure, you're not asking him X's and O questions. That's not what you're asking him. You're asking him what it's like to be the head coach at Notre Dame. You're asking him, you know, what was his experience like? And then you use that information and you adapt it to what you're doing but how do you not get lou holtz involved i, I mean because you think you're the smartest guy in the room and you think you're smarter than everybody else I and mean, that's that's what you know what it comes down to for me vince it's what we've been saying since marcus freeman was a coordinator at notre dame he has embraced genuinely embraced yes. notre dame yes in a way that we really haven't seen since charlie now, say what you want about Charlie Weiss, but he, Charlie embraced Notre Dame because he was a grad. He I was mean, a he, student here. He yes. loved it here, right? Exactly. Bob Davey never embraced Notre Dame. Ty Willingham never embraced Notre Dame. Lou did, Charlie did, and Marcus Freeman is. Agreed. Has. Now, now we need to find out if he's more like Lou Holtz as a coach. Or right. like Lou and there was another question right. that somebody had, Vince, in there, if you can find it while we're talking. But somebody asked about the 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 video that was up. Oh yeah, night that they have since taken down. That. I don't know if you watched the video. I didn't even know it existed. So I didn't know. Somebody put it on our message board last night. Here it is. Oh, from okay. Did you get to watch the state of the program before it was made private? Any thoughts? If so, and yeah, I did. So what it was is Marcus Freeman got on a Zoom call with a bunch of former Notre Dame players, alums. I mean, I saw Zorch on there. I saw, I think I saw Lee Becton on there. Sean Wooden was on there. Rick Meyer got Rick in. Meyer was on there. Yeah. Like there was a lot of guys on there. And at first it was just, you know, Hunter Biven asking him, okay, what's the latest on this? He talked about NIL. He talked about how Notre Dame's not there yet. There's things they're doing. He kind of talked about how, you know, I think part of it is marketing it correctly. Talked about transfer portal, talked about the new coaching staff. It's a, re- a pretty cool thing. I mean, he had a lot of cool things to say. Then he opened it up to questions to the to the uh, alums. And the bit the premise of it was we need you. He made this kind of he goes, I he goes, I he said like he was surprised, like how little he saw former players in his years in his year at Notre Dame. And how it bothered him that he saw so few alums like we we got to get you guys back here so they're going to do something they're talking about doing something for like the blue gold game where they get all this access and he's like he he's like i want you guys around my players 
Because I don't want the tradition stuff to just be about talk. It's got to be about they got to meet you. They got to know you. You I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm hearing like angelic (laughs) music playing. You know, (laughs) and it's like because he gets it. He understands you can't sell tradition to Notre Dame and then not embrace the people who built the freaking tradition in the first place. Right. And, but that was Brian Kelly. But again, Brian, that's because that was, is the head that was his narcissism coming yes. through. And this, I've said this for years. Brian Kelly wanted one face of Notre Dame football, and it was him. him. You know, he would occasionally use Lou Holtz as a pawn, or you know, I remember you know, Eric Parsegian spoke once to the team early in his tenure, but it was always about Brian Kelly using them for something he wanted to accomplish as opposed to, you know, and, and you know, I, I know Brian Kelly talked to Lou Holtz as well, but it was more of like a you're doing it because you have to exactly. kind of thing exactly. from what I was told. Whereas I think Marcus Freeman is going to the whole, it's not for, hey, what what scheme did you run? What Because the game has changed. It's more of like, hey, it, inspiration and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, you know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm loving it. Because, I, 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 again, you can't win at Notre Dame if you don't embrace what makes Notre Dame different. Exactly. You can't you can't complain and bitch about well we're not doing this we're not doing that we can't do that you knew that when you took the freaking job right so don't complain about oh gee academic standards are tough when you knew that when you took the job and that's the thing that Marcus Freeman is like he he wants to change things but he knows that he's got to stay within a certain the he's not saying can I get a bunch of two point two GPAs like like twelve a year that's not going to happen right but there are things you can do right. work on those things. And so to me, that's the big thing for me is, is um, he has embraced what makes Notre Dame unique. And there's two ways you can say, here's what makes Notre Dame different. Or here's what makes Notre Dame special. Brian Kelly focused on what made Notre Dame different. We have to shop down a different aisle. We have to recruit different types of players. We have to, you know, we actually have kids. That, and then there's looking at it, it's like, this is what makes Notre Dame special. And Lou Holtz looked at those differences as being special. Brian Kelly looked at those differences as being roadblocks. And that's why he left. And that's the difference. Because he wanted to and get rid of those roadblocks. that's why he never ultimately got Notre Dame right. to that pinnacle. Yes. In my opinion. Despite having some very talented football teams. Agreed. Agreed. You know? So, yeah. Great question. That's a great fantastic question. Because I feel the same way. And it always – it just blew my mind how it was never embraced by the previous head coach. And it was it so just, obvious, too. Yeah. I mean, and, it, it wasn't even – and and if you listen to Lou Holtz talk, you could tell that when he had talked to Brian Kelly, that it was surface talk. You know what I mean? Like Brian Kelly or, or, or Lou Holtz doesn't beat around the bush. Like I mean, look, he's not going to bash Brian Kelly or anything like that. But you could just tell when he would talk about it, it was just different mm-hmm. in a bad way. You know what I mean? And and right. yeah. It just is what it is, and right. and Marcus Freeman's embracing it, and right. you could tell he was embracing it during the interview that you had with him last, last summer before the season started. Right. Last summer, when when you had that interview with him on the podcast, and he was talking about you know why 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 would you not want to come to Notre Dame and all of these different like he was he was in like hook line and sinker, mm-hmm. and he understood what Notre Dame was all about, and it's just been enhanced over the last year of him being here at mm-hmm. Notre Dame, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It, it just yeah. is what it is. Yep. So I agree. Okay, Chris ba- Basker. I submitted a super chat Monday that I never heard in the show. I it just said let's go from gap closers to gap creators. I love that. That's I awesome. love that because what he's implying is it's done. We closed the gap. Now right. let's separate ourselves from, from everybody in the back. Right. Absolutely. Right. 
love it. Shirt idea. There it is. Love it. (laughs) It's happening. It's happening. Uh, Will Burkett, or Burkhart, excuse me. Is there a visit list for the blue gold game yet? I heard Mimpemba is visiting now. That's not going to be for the blue gold game, I don't believe. I think Samuel is coming up the weekend of the Mar- of March 18th, which will be a month before the blue gold game. That's the that's the beginning of the start of spring practice. So I got an email uh, this morning from someone who uh, had – uh, who sent me sort of the game plan for the spring and it looks Ooh. like spring practice is going to start March 17th. So that Patrick's weekend right. they're going to have a big recruiting weekend is what they're shooting towards. And okay. uh, I think Samuel and Pemba had mentioned, I think to Brian Smith yesterday, cause we had an update on Brian put an update on in Pemba yesterday. Cause uh, IMG had a sort of like a, a, um, uh, like a Media pro day. day. Like, yeah, it's like a pro day. Like guys were working out and then, then they had media afterwards. And so he got hmm. a chance to talk to Samuel and he, you know, he said, he said Samuel was bringing up Notre Dame without being asked about Notre Dame, which you always like to hear. Somebody asked, who's your favorite coach to talk to? And his first response was Marcus Freeman. And that wasn't, I don't think, I don't think I could be wrong. I don't think that was Brian asking that question. I think that was Brian with a group of other reporters and somebody else asked him that I, I could be wrong on that, but I thought that's how Brian relate it because he texted me he's like Notre Dame leads for Mpemba I was like really still and he's like yeah I was like because I knew he was at the pro day and and uh but yeah he he said that I mean he just you could he said you'd see him light up when he started talking about Marcus Freeman so that's um all right gentlemen yeah. I'm gonna get out of here uh but I'm gonna be uh, able to MC for a little bit for Vince a very Stiller. little bit yes okay. yeah just, then what I would too. say to do Vince is I'm gonna just start working through the questions okay if you I'll can start, just work start, through so. And continue to try to star some angling for recruiting questions, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, no. I mean, just any oh. good questions because we're, okay. we're going to talk team stuff at first, and then, okay, cool. Then we'll get in the recruiting. I'm on stuff. it. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Have a great and weekend. We're going to bring up that NFL draft one we've been holding. We had an NFL draft uh, real early. We're like, like, no, we can't bring this up until we bring Ryan on the show. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get Ryan involved. So, uh, for Ryan's time, because that's, that's like you're not allowed in the first hour, Ryan. You're you're banned from the show. It's only me and Vince. We got to hang yeah. out as old timers. Uh, for Ryan's time, what NFL team's offensive system would you want to see Dante more in? Assume all other players are what they are today. It's a great Sorry. question. Um, yeah. I don't think there's a limit to him. I mean, if you're asking me what I think he would run best in, I would definitely want to see a lot of heavy RPO looks out of it, right? Like I want to, I want to see some quick decisions. I want to see him get some quick numbers, you know, types of situations. Um, <clears throat> quick release. So again, RPO action out of it. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, basically every team has some type of RPO concepts to, to their to their game now. Um, I think heavily of like some of the West Coast systems. You know, maybe the Mike Shanahan tree. Um, I like him so, in McVay's offense. I mean, you talk about the yeah, well, that's, RPO, that's that the trend. game. The, yeah. Yeah, that's that tree. That's the Mike yeah. Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan uh, running over to the Jets. Now Miami down there with, with Mike McDaniel is going to be running some of the hey, same. Ryan, who – you saw that tree. Can you just – because yeah. some people don't know this. Yeah. Can you talk about all the coaches that were on that Mike Shanahan staff with the with the Redskins back in the day? Because it, it, yeah. was, it was obviously Kyle and McVay, but who – I mean, there was like – Jay Gruden, there mm-hmm. was, um, was Mike, McDan- Mike McDaniel was on that staff because he's been with Sh- um, Kyle Shanahan for like 15 years. Was LaFleur? I think it wasn't LaFleur. Matt LaFleur yeah. was a young coach on there. Um, 
McVeigh. There was somebody else too that was like, oh wow, I didn't even know he was on there. I want to say maybe not, maybe not during the Mike Shanahan era in Washington, but when Jay Gruden was on there, I know the last couple years, I believe at least, um, who was there? Oh man, there was a couple guys because I remember them talking about it. Um, Kevin O'Connell, who's now the uh, the new Minnesota Vikings head coach, he was. I think an offensive analyst or something like that with Washington. And then he went with Sean McVay eventually to say mm-hmm. uh, to, he, well, he took over as the Washington offensive coordinator after McVay left. Mm-hmm. And then he came back over with McVay to be his offensive coordinator. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a crazy tree, man. And the crazy part about it was, I think the last year that Mike was there, obviously like his tenure in Washington wasn't great. Right. So like their, st- their staff that year, I'm pretty sure they went like, seven and nine or six and ten but then you see like all just the head coaches future head coaches that are on that tree and it's ridiculous man and obviously when you think about Mike Shanahan and what he was able to do with with Denver you think you know they're obviously running a lot of wide zone stretch system a lot of play action off of it uh, vertical stretch stuff but I mean they really took what was kind of conceived as like the, the west coast right what you think of like short intermediate crossing routes a lot of action off of it they really kind of, and I, you know, Mike Shanahan obviously increased it with with John Elway, and then Brett Favre obviously with Mike Holmgren as well. They did a lot more vertical stretch off of it, so they're stretching the field a lot more than horizontally. At that and point, he actually so. started that right before he came back to Denver, because if you remember that that San Francisco offense where he was the OC that won the Super Bowl ninety four, this might be a little bit before your time, but they mm-hmm. threw the ball downfield a lot on yep. that team, right? And that, I think I don't know if Steve Young won the MVP that year, but that was the year that he won Super Bowl. Yeah, Shanahan is the OC, and then of course they brought him back to Denver. And as you said, mm-hmm. they took full advantage of John Elway being a, a, a. And I've always said this: like you, you can't just say West Coast and assume it's going to look like this. Like everybody has right. their own. Mike Shanahan's West Coast looked a whole lot different than John Gruden's West Coast, right? I mean, right. But it, I it's mean, the, even the. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Oh no, I was going to say even the principle of like you know obviously at the core the Kyle Shanahan system is a West Coast offense, right? But like the last couple of years with Jimmy Garoppolo, it's been very more traditional what you would think, those short crossing routes. Mm-hmm. Now that Trey Lance is going to be at the helm, I would assume that we now evolve into more of that vertical stretch, right. kind of what we're thinking as well. Right, and he's got, he's certainly put, well, I'll say this, he's definitely putting the weapons together to be more a vertically oriented football team. Absolutely. You don't you don't draft Brandon Ayuk and you don't, you don't have George Kittle as a tight end if you don't want to stretch the field, but you also have to have the trigger man that can get it done. Absolutely. And and yep. I think that's, you know, from what I've seen of the Niners, they didn't necessarily have that. So I, I think the big thing for me is I think I think Dante Moore's athletic, mm-hmm. but he is a guy that to me is, at his core is a pocket passer. Sure. That, you know, and, and so like I think of like, you know, as a Broncos fan, what little I know of the Packers, I think like if Nathaniel Hackett brings the offense there that kind of we saw in Green Bay, that's an offense that Dante Moore would fit in. It's about sure. accuracy, decision making, and yes, you got to be able to get the ball downfield. But I, I mean, that's another one that I that I would see. But uh, well, and that and that's and he was under Matt Lafleur as well. So like that's again directly just breaking off that, that tree a little right. bit, man. Yeah, that line. Absolutely. absolutely. And again, I mean, who? Okay, let's let's bring it full circle back to Notre Dame. Yeah, who are the people that I believe Tommy Reese studies the most? I think it's though it's it's McVeigh, it's Lafleur, it's I mean not Lafleur, it's McVeigh, it's Shanahan, it's those guys, mm-hmm. and that is another reason why I think Dante would be such a great fit and for what Notre Dame does. Yeah, is absolutely. that right there? Yeah, a draft. Nice. Go ahead, Ryan. No, 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 you go ahead. Say so we had a draft question for you. Okay, we'll stay in the NFL and about quarterbacks, NFL draft wise, 
And again, this is super early, right? And I, I hate doing this personally, but it was asked, and so I'm going to ask you. Sure. NFL draft-wise, what is the ceiling of Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine, and Dante Moore is more a first overall potential? Oh, man. Let me just say one thing. It yeah. is He's a junior in high school. Yes. Right? And so it is it is like a huge leap to say any junior in high school is going to be the first number one overall pick. Right. My answer would simply be, I believe he has some traits that in time could potentially lead him to be that kind of quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yes. I would say yeah. that. Yes. Well, but and we, we always yeah. make the parallels to the Sean Watson, right? Like, and I think there are some parallels there. Deshaun Watson was the first round pick. He was not the first overall selection. And so if you, I think if the, if the question was maybe phrased a little differently, like, do I think that he has first round potential or first round traits, then I would be more willing to be like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like first round traits, if everything is developed properly, I mean, obviously that's a big, it's it's a big projection. I mean, we're projecting, I mean, usually we're projecting, I I mean, usually when I'm in the summer, I'm projecting a few months out. Now you're asking me to project uh, four four years out, (laughs) maybe five years out. So I would say that the traits are definitely there. I mean, Buckner, we have to just see what the, the passing looks like. I mean, he's a good athlete, so there's definitely mm-hmm. a projection for him. Drew Pine is, you know, there's going to be a safeness to Drew Pine, but at, at the end of the day, Drew Pine needs to find a situation where he's going to play football, right? Like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, before we can even start thinking about, like, what his next-level potential is, whether that is at Notre Dame or it's at a different school, there needs to be some type of resume, right? Like there needs to be some game film. You can't evaluate nothing right now. And that's kind of just mm-hmm. what we have right now from them. Right. I, I think the other thing too, is when I talk about da- Dante Moore's comparison being similar to Deshaun Watson, it's not comparing their games. It's comparing their impact on the program. It's that guy that can put a team on his shoulders and say, Hey, we were good before. Cause let's not forget Taj Boyd led them to an orange bowl victory over Ohio state. He led them to a, was it a peach bowl victory over LSU? Right, like he did yep. some, and then they had a loss in an Orange Bowl, so they were good. Oh, that, under that, Taj. that West, that West Virginia game, right? That yeah. was ugly. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was an eleven. Uh, no, that was in that was an eleven. They got blasted, and that's when he fired Kevin Steele and brought in Brent Venables, which kind of, and I think soon after, like, yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember when. Like I think he brought. I think that's also around. When, did he bring in Chad Morse also at that time, or was Chad already there that year? I can't remember uh, uh, that sure specific that, that specific part of the timeline. It was 2011, so that was Chad Morse's first year. So then, then they got that part of it going too. But that's when he got rid of Kevin Steele and brought in uh, Brent Venables. But he got him to a level, and Deshaun said, "Okay, I'm the kind of guy that can get you to that next level." And I think right. that's where the compares, like as far as the kind of players they are, Deshaun and Dante are not similar. I mean, Deshaun Watson ran for a thousand yards as a sophomore. Right. You're not going to see Dante Moore do that. That's just not his game. He mm-hmm. is more of a pocket passer that happens to also be athletic. But if Dante Moore runs an offense where they run him zero times, he's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have been Deshaun in college. I don't know if Deshaun would have been as effective if you completely took his running ability out of his repertoire. Maybe now in the NFL he's better to do that, but in college he 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 wasn't a good enough, an advanced enough passer at that time, in my opinion, to be a throwing only quarterback. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dante can be, it's just he happens to also be athletic, and I, so the skill set is different. And I think, but to the point of the question, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes Dante such a coveted potential NFL player is because he is athletic. 
but he's a pocket passer. And at the end of the day, these teams want a, an athletic pocket passer more so than a runner. If you have sure. a Josh Allen, use them. But there's not a not everyone's not looking for the next Josh Allen. They're still looking for the next Aaron Rodgers, the next Pat Mahomes, the next guy that can dominate from the pocket. That's all, at right. the end of the day. That's ultimately what the coaches want. You know what I mean? That uh, let's be honest about that. Well, well, I I always have little like back and forth sometimes for, in NFL draft circles because people fall in love with the off script stuff, right? Which like I get it, it's exciting, man. But like the on script stuff is is obviously more important. If it's all off script and you don't have that baseline, then the guy can't play. I mean, right. it's just we're seeing it in Philadelphia right now. It's like Jalen Hurts has some exciting moments and he can do some nice stuff with his legs. But the stuff in script, the stuff on schedule just isn't good enough right now. So they're always going to be every single year. He's going to put up okay stats. He's going to win some games. But then people are going to say, but can we do better? Because the baseline just is not great enough right now. It's not good enough. So I just I I think people just need to kind of understand that there is a baseline as an NFL passer or just a passer in general, not even just NFL, that you have to be suitable enough at this level to, to that the off the script stuff actually does matter that much more. I, I think that's one of the things that I always felt made Michael Vick an overrated player during his NFL career. For sure. Is he had some highlight real plays, mm-hmm. but his best season as a starter was 11 and four. It's pretty good that year. But then mm-hmm. after that, it's like eight and seven, eight, you know, seven and six, seven and nine, eight, six and one. Had an yep. eight and three year in Philly where I think he came off the bench that year. But if you look at that mm-hmm. version of Michael Vick, that was a different version of Michael Vick. Completely he was a, a little bit better. I mean, you you were an Eagles fan. You remember, he was more willing to sit in the pocket and make reads and make throws. And, you know, it, that was after he'd missed the two years and the suspension and all that. But if you're talking about winning football games in the National Football League as a quarterback, you're not going to run around and do that stuff all day. I mean, let's not forget, there were years when John Elway was doing that and the Broncos had some years where they weren't that good. Right. I mean, it's just it's you're going to be less consistent as a program or as a football team. And so you need to have a quarterback, especially in today's era, that can sit back and and do damage from the pocket. That's the different. And that's why, Josh, look, Josh Allen isn't isn't in the conversation for one of the two or three, four best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, at least in the conversation because of the running ability. Right. It's because he has developed as a passer more than he was. And then that and that heightens his ability to, to be effective as a runner. And I think mm-hmm. that's why, at the end of the day, you still need a guy that can sit back in a pocket and do damage. And then then if the off script is part of that, and that's what, to me, makes Pat Mahomes so magical. Because Patrick Mahomes can sit in a pocket and just pick you apart. But mm-hmm. there, he, he's also going to make some plays off script where you're like, oh, okay, that was freaking disgusting. The, the off, you know? off the script stuff is is a luxury. It's not right. the, the whole process, you know. Right. But it, it, and we're even seeing it now. It's like every year it feels like Kyler Murray gets hurt, and then the running element stops near the end of the season, and then the Cardinals and him struggle. Mm-hmm. We saw Lamar Jackson get banged up this year, and the quarterback run game was not as good when he was able to play, and he struggled passing. So mm-hmm. that baseline matters, and if you have the the ability to do things out of script out, off of it, that's when guys turn to really good into special. Like you're kind of talking mm-hmm. about Patrick Mahomes when you're talking about when Lamar Jackson at his best, when Kyler Murray's got everything working, like that. Then that those guys could potentially be special. Aaron Rodgers could sit in the pocket, like you said, and just kill you all day from inside mm-hmm. the pocket. But then he can also break the pocket and do some absurd things on the run, throwing the football. But that's not the baseline of what he does. That's a luxury to what he does. Right. So really interesting stuff, you know, combining your your passion with your new and, and budding passion, you know, recruiting and, and the draft. T- t- uh, Tyler Buckner, to me, ceiling-wise, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just 
I got to see him evolve more as a thrower first. It's Drew really Pine to me is Ian Book. I mean, that's that's it's that's fair. you know, they're different type. I mean, Ian's a more mobile guy. Drew, I think, is a better passer. When we talk about ceiling, impact on the team, draft, that's about as high as as it could go. And I think Ian Book was drafted too high, in my opinion. I don't I don't think he's a fourth round. I, I think the Saints think that too right now. Yeah. <laughs> It didn't take him long to figure that out either. I mean, they were talking about trying to trade him before they even got to the start of the regular season. Uh, man, he was a fourth. He was the fourth string quarterback to start the year, and you drafted yeah. him in the fourth round. Was, yeah, and Trevor, yeah. And, and he's playing behind Trevor Simeon. Like, just yes, that's one of those mic drop comments you can make. Like, they chose Trevor Simeon over him. So. Sure did. Uh, Sparkness one. Hey guys, when could we expect Dante Moore to commit? Spring, summer. I would say late spring, early summer would be uh, probably the sweet spot. If based on where things are right now, mm-hmm. that could change. He may just decide. You know what, man? I know where I want to go. That's the mm-hmm. thing about Dante. I think if Dante wakes up and he's just like, yeah, I, I know where I want to go, that and then happen. wakes up the next day feeling the same thing, and then I, you know what I mean? Like it's not like he's like he's a smart kid. He's not going to just wake up in a mood one day and commit to a school. But it's more about when he starts waking up on consistent days saying, this is where I want to be, I think he'll make his decision, even if it's earlier than he expects. Because as we've said before, he understands the impact he will have on whatever class he jumps in. He gets right. that. But I think right now, I think he likes Notre Dame a lot. I think I, if I had to say it, I would say Notre Dame, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. probably his leader. But I also think he likes other programs. And he's not going to sure. make a decision until he's ready. So what I'm, but but I also don't think he's a kid who's going to unnecessarily drag this out for any arbitrary reasons. When he right. knows, I think he'll decide. So it may be late spring, early summer. He may wake up in two weeks and be like, you know what, man, this is it. I know where I want to be, and make that decision. But it will be a thoughtful decision, which is why I highly doubt Dante Moore's a flip kid, because yes. I, I think he's going to make a very thoughtful, rational decision. And when he when he when he buys in, he's going to fully buy in. Is is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Here's one from Tyler Longbreak. Let's say Notre Dame lands Samuel Pembo, Christian Gray, Malik Muhammad. Good Lord, Jason Moore. <laughs> would this be the best defensive recruiting class ever? If so, how would this rank of top defensive classes of all time that you can think of? I, I mean, off the top of my head, maybe, right? Like, I, I can't think of one that would. I mean, because then we're talking about Pemba's a five star, Jason Moore is a top 50 player. Malik Muhammad's a top fifty player. Christian Gray by what was it twenty two four seven or was it he, he's, he was he's like one oh eight or something? I think Rivals yeah. had him at one oh eight. He's like one a okay. one fifty kind of guy. So he's a yeah. one fifty kid on top of um Keon Keeley, who's a five star, top fifty Brennan Vernon, Peyton Bowen, top fifty, maybe better if he increases in the season. Rivals has Brennan Vernon at number seventeen. I mean I mean, maybe I mean, would be like your 10th ranked defensive player in the class at that point in time. Right. Right. I mean, so That's yes, absurd. off the top of my head, I would say yes. Obviously your, your recruiting knowledge goes further back than mine, but just like in the recent years, I, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to, we have to separate generations. I, I'm not a fan of the whole best player ever thing because we don't know how Brent, LeBron James would have been in the, 80s and 90s and we don't know how players from then will be now we can we can guess and have fun debates but ultimately we don't know and and so you know recruiting rankings were different services were different you know i mean when right now when i look at the notre dame class from like 1990 and you look at the f- great players i don't know how that i mean lou holtz or i mean lou samoji talked about how 
that class was considered great at the time. I don't have any knowledge of that. I only know what they did in Notre Dame. So for me, it's unfair. So I kind of look at it like the rivals era, which is kind of when the recruiting services began, which was like 02. I mean, to me, if they get that, it's it's hands down the best class. And here's why I say that. There have been some years where they landed some big-time players that are every bit as good as the guys that would be at the top of this board. I think of the 2013 when they landed Jalen Smith and Eddie Vanderdose, right, who were big-time players. I think in 2011 when, you know, think about this. If Notre Dame gets Brendan Vernon, Jason Moore, and Keon Keeley, mm-hmm. we have to have a debate about whether or not that's better coming out of high school than the 2011 group that an Aaron Lynch, the font to it, and Eshak Williams. Yes. Right? But yep. here's the difference. Those classes had major holes at other positions, sure. right? So, like the defensive end class in eleven was great, but the who was the who were the defensive tackles? Was that uh, was Tony Springman in that class? I think right. Wasn't I think Tony Springman was in that class? I think he was an inside guy. You know, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't actually. I just kind of pulled these up the other day. I just created a sheet, Ryan, for a, an NFL draft idea, ranking recruiting rankings draft idea. I had so I have a sheet that has all the players. By class, so if you look at the 2011 class, they had they had signed a bunch of defensive ends, but their defensive tackles were Brad Carrico and Tony Springman. The only mm-hmm. safety they landed was Eiler Hardy, and the two safe corners they landed were the late Josh Atkinson and Jalen Brown. Like the thing is, like we could debate whether the defensive end class from 11 was better coming out of high school than this class, but it's not a debate anywhere else. And that's the that's the thing is linebacker to me would be better because Drake Bowen is a better prospect than Ben Council was. And mm-hmm. and I think Preston Zinter and Jarrett Grace are very similar. I was higher on Jarrett Grace in the recruiting services. I still say if he doesn't tear his knee up, Notre Dame's starting linebacking core in 2015 is Jarrett Grace and Jalen Smith, and that's a much better linebacking group, a healthy Jarrett Grace. So, you know, but he, he, he was a top 250 guy. So, you know, you know, slight edge to the 2023 group. But then secondary, it's not even a conversation. Right. I mean, Isler right. Hardy was a top 250 caliber guy. Josh Atkinson was a three-star. Jalen Brown was a three-star. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about none. Uh, Isler Hardy's the only guy even in conversation of getting a scholarship in this class. And to me, that's the huge – it's interior guys. I mean, if they got Devin Houston as part of this too, if you were to count Jason Moore as an interior guy with Devin Houston and compare that to Tony Springer or Brad, Brad Carrico, it's not even close. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I would, I would say in 2013, the same way, you know, you had Eddie Vanderdose up front, you know, you had, you had Doug Randolph as an outside linebacker in a three, four, you had Jalen Smith, Max Redfield, Cole Luke, but it was like Cole Luke and Rashad Kinlaw at corner, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There was a drop off. You had Max Redfield, but I don't think they had another safety in that class. They were still coming up short on numbers, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and that's the thing for me is uh, I, I, I just, I feel like this group would be much more, it would be much deeper. And that ultimately, Ryan, has got to be the goal. It's We've said this, Notre Dame take their top five or six players, and, and most years I'll stack them up against anybody's best four or five, six players. The, sure. the, the gap has been like seven through 15. Is There's been an enormous gap in favor of the other teams. Death, That's what yeah. would make this one special is it's right. not just landing two or three great players. It's landing like nine. You know what I mean? Like, that's a gap closing. That's a gap erasing class right there, Ryan. That's mm-hmm. not even a gap closing class. That's a gap erase class because that's a class that makes Alabama say, dang. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's a class that Georgia looks and says, uh-oh, <laughs> Notre Dame's doing some things. 
um, that's, funny, man. that's a class that says makes Brian Kelly said, did they change the academic standards at Notre Dame or something? Because <laughs> I never had classes like that. Why, why, uh, why could I do that? Why could I exactly do that? <laughs> work ethic? <coughs> Excuse me, I had a little something in my throat. Here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, but I mean, if Lou Samoji was here, he would immediately cut us off and be, start talking about the Ross Brown or Willie Fry, you know, Luther Bradley class, and that's that's where it's like it's I can't speak to that. Right. Right. You can't I can't really speak with knowledge of the 90, 91 classes because I was 12. You know what I mean? Like I only knew them. And and there just wasn't the knowledge. It was the parade all Americans. And that was like it. You know what I mean? Like it was like right. there wasn't the knowledge of all. I mean, you, we couldn't evaluate the star rankings of their 25th signee kind of thing. It just was a different. Is, isn't it crazy how far recruiting and and, and the NFL draft, but just mm-hmm. like sp- like football coverage in general just has. Oh my, I can't even like, sometimes I just sit back and like think, especially on the recruiting side of things. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember like, I, I was a recruiting nerd when I was like growing up. Right. But like, I mm-hmm. never remembered it being like this, you yes. know, where it's just like yeah. video and multiple right. platforms and multiple rankings and man, it is just blown yeah. up so much. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it's a lot of fun. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I know people uh, I, and I'm, I mean, I know people I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah. I don't, I watch more draft stuff than I do NFL games. You know, sure. I've, I've exp- I don't yeah. watch a lot of NFL games, but man, I'm a draft. You know this, Ryan. You've known this since you've known me. This yep. is how we kind of met. Is I'm a dra- I'm a draft junkie. I love the draft. Like I've always said, if I was ever going to do anything other than this, it would be getting into like front office where I could like just do draft stuff year round. You yeah. know, I mean, Valu- that, that evaluate. Be, yeah, yeah, evaluate. Be part of decision making. Like that would be like the only other job I could ever. And, I'm not considering it. I'm just making the point, you know. Bri- but, this uh, is uh, Brian's making a career switch right now. Nope, you heard it. Nope. <laughs> nope. I haven't brought. It's like that scene from Men in Black. I'm not bringing you to, for a partner. I'm bringing you here as my replacement. That is not happening. So I'm not going anywhere. But uh, I just love that. I'm like a. That's like I'm a draft nerd. I love that stuff. And like you said, there's mm-hmm. it's there's just so much out there. You and I kind of got a good laugh at a couple mock drafts we saw yesterday. <laughs> You know, it's just, and that's the thing. That's the bad thing about so, the the good thing about social media is there's just a ton available. The bad thing about social media is there's just a ton available because <laughs> it doesn't mean sword. all of it's good, right? Yeah, and it's I awful, think that's man. that's the thing for me. Rob mm-hmm. Didoff has a has a comment. He says Brian and Vince, and Vince is no longer with us on the show. He's still, you know, still alive, but just not with us on the show. As we mentioned yesterday, NBC's coverage of Notre Dame is subpar at best. Agree. What if they did? So we talked a lot about Ryan yesterday. Just for back, I don't know if you watched the show yesterday. I know you guys were a little sick at the house. So I wasn't sure if you I, watched. I was. It I was on with you yesterday, sir. Were you? Yes. Oh, it was all three of us. That's right. Yes. Okay. I knew Vince was there. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I, I had this conversation. Yeah. I know this conversation. Okay, so you know the backstory. Yes. What if they did a similar style replay on NBC or Peacock Sunday morning, similar to the days of Lindsey Nelson? They kind of do that already, though, Rob. That's but they put it on YouTube. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they kind of, they kind of have those summaries, but I, I think that'd be fun. I mean, I think that'd be fun to watch, but they kind of already do that. And it would just, they wouldn't do it on TV. They just put it up on, on YouTube, I think would be how it, because that's how, I mean, that's how a lot of people became Notre Dame fans back in the day was watching the Sunday Lindsay Nelson replays. So I, I don't know what Lindsay Nelson is. So, okay. Ryan is no longer with us today. <laughs> I was going to Google it, but I, you know. Yes, you know. need to Google it. Basically, okay. Lindsey Nelson was just a play-by-play guy that gotcha. Notre Dame wouldn't have, like, they wouldn't have, the, this is before, like, games were televised live. 
But Notre mm-hmm. Dame, on Sunday mornings, they'd have a replay of the previous day's game, which often wasn't live, I don't think. But it was like a – they would shorten it. Like, you know, now we move on to further action. You know, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Well, that's yeah. how a lot of people became Notre Dame fans because that's that's all there was. So, like, my dad grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and there wasn't – like, ACC football wasn't a thing. It was just AC basketball. And, you know, he Redskins were a big thing back then. It was pro football area, but there wasn't a lot of college football. And so the only college football my dad ever watched growing up was the Sunday replays before NFL games of Lindsey Nelson doing Notre Dame games, and that's how he became a Notre Dame fan. And I've heard a lot of stories from people that have have similar stories of, you know, this is this is how they became Notre Dame fans. So, yeah, that's gotcha. uh, it's interesting. I'll, you have to do a little. I'll little look it up. On that. Yeah, yeah, definitely will. Jeffrey Joseph with a question. Jeffrey had an earlier super super sticker, so we appreciate that. With respect to the wide receiver coach hire, you insinuated Reese didn't want other strong voices contributing the game planning. Does that worry you considering his lack of experience? So I didn't say that. I said that I said I had some people that had said that that was a potential concern. And the thing that I would say about it is it, is it concerned me? It depends on why. Cause here's the thing. If it was simply a guy had good ideas and Reese doesn't want you to say anything. He just wants you to go shut up and go coach receivers. That's a problem. If it's a situation where a guy's trying to come in and you need someone to coach the receivers, but he wants to be sort of the co OC and kind of step on your toes and kind of say, Hey, I'm going to bring my ideas in that can be problematic. Because that's not the kind of, look, there's a hierarchy, right? Like, this is your role, this is your role, this is your role. So I think it depends on what the the, the specifics of this were, Jeffrey. If just in theory, Tom Reese doesn't want other strong voices, that's a problem. And, and at the time, I had big concerns about it. But here's the thing. Once they went and got Dylan McCullough, that kind of changed my view on it because if you don't like strong voices and, and people with strong opinions, you don't go push for Dylan McCullough as your running backs coach. Cause, and you don't push for Harry. He's to be your old line coach. Cause that's two dynamic personalities that have very strong reputations that are considered the best of the best. So um, do I, do I have some concerns about that? It depends on the, the, the specifics. And again, my concerns have been somewhat alleviated as they filled out the staff. I mean, that's, that's just kind of, that's my thought. I mean, do you agree? I mean, you don't, you don't go push. For, and, and from what I'm told, Tommy was the one that said, I really want that guy with Dylan McCullough. He's the guy that, that went to coach Fre- Freeman and said, Hey, we got to get Harry back. And yeah. and coach Freeman was like, yep. Yes, we do. Like it was Tommy that kind of made that push. Tommy Reese does not push for Dylan McCullough. If he wants to be the only strong voice in a room. Mm-hmm. That no, or he doesn't I, know Dylan McCullough at all or Harry Heastand at all, and we know that those that's not true. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, and I was gonna say, I know, I know you alluded to uh Harry Heastand as well, but like he's a strong voice, obviously, as well. And Coach McCullough is known for you know being very vocal and being that type of personality as well. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the actions speak loudest, right? Mm-hmm. So, at the at the if he if he signed off or you know spearheaded the 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 March to get guys like Dylan McCullough and get the Harry Heastan back. I feel, feel like that's all the, that's all the, the answers that you need to mm-hmm. that question, right. Is the fact that I think he's willing to you know collaborate at the end of the day, though, he is the offensive coordinator. So he has the overall arching say, and he has the final say, but there's nothing wrong with being a guy that takes things in and then makes the best po- possible decision. I know some people obviously are not open to that type of conversation from an offensive voice perspective. But I think the actions kind of speak that he's at least, at least willing to listen to it and at least willing to hear it. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I that, again, I think we can all take different takes on that. And, and I think Tommy Reese has become a bit of a lightning rod with Notre Dame fans mm-hmm. lately because he's kind of the, the last holdover of the Brian Kelly air. And I think Tommy's getting a lot of arrows that are really secretly, you know, it's like, it's like they've got a Tommy Reese picture and they put Brian Kelly's face on it. And now they're shooting arrows at it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of what we're seeing with a lot of this. We'll see. Uh, Tyler Bedwell, just answering this quickly, is Notre Dame seriously interested in Harris Sewell? Seems like a mauler on the interior. Seems like a lesser rated Quentin Nelson. I don't think Harris Sewell is a priority for Notre Dame right now. I think there are much yeah. better prospects that they're looking for. And again, I don't think Notre Dame's going to be recruiting a ton of pure interior guys. Not mm-hmm. as many. There'll be some, but not as many. And right now, I don't think Harris Sewell is a guy that's on the board yeah. based on what we've talked about. David Solomon says, don't understand why Swarbrick and Notre Dame didn't want expansion. Notre Dame has no margin for error. That's false. We saw it the last two years, 12-0 in 2020, and we're in. 11-1 in 2021, we're out. Um, finishing 12-0 is our only chance. Notre Dame was not 12-0 in 2020. Notre Dame was 10-1 and and got in the playoffs in 2020. No, So their last game, they lost, what was it, 34-10? to they lost the ACC title game and still got in. This mm-hmm. notion that Notre Dame has to be 12-0 is utterly false. And there's verifiable data to prove it. Number one, half of Notre Dame's playoff appearances came with a regular season loss. Okay, number one. Number two, Notre Dame climbed up to number four in the rankings in 2015 with a loss. Then they went out and laid an egg against Wake Forest, played like crap against a terrible BC team, and then that got them knocked out. And then, of course, they finished by going and losing to Stanford. 2017, Notre Dame loses at home to Georgia to begin the year. They climbed all the way up to number three in the rankings before getting blasted by Miami. No one can make a legitimate argument that Notre Dame would rise up to number three, beat a top 10 Miami team on the road, beat a top 25 Stanford team on the road in the last three games and fall out of the top four. You can't make a, a rational argument that that would have been the case. So this notion that Notre Dame has no margin for error has zero zero support from a from the standpoint of actual data the reason notre dame is 11 and 1 and out in 2021 is because they be here's the number of top 25 teams notre dame beat in 2021 that's the list nobody you know what i mean like that's the that's the reality of it if notre dame would have beat cincinnati and let's say let's say they would have lost to florida state in the opener let's just say it right losing overtime bad loss We've seen team with similarly bad losses get in the playoff, right? Mm-hmm. That Ohio State lost at home by two touchdowns at the beginning of the 2014 season to a Virginia Tech team that went seven and six. Yep. Okay, but then they beat a bunch of ranked teams. If Notre Dame loses there and then blasts Cincinnati at home or beats Cincinnati at home, guess what? Notre Dame's in the playoff. Cincinnati's not. Or at least Notre Dame's got a better resume because they'd have a better win. You can't argue that you should have been in with a loss when you beat zero ranked teams. I'll say this right now. If a team from the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten or Big 12 or Pac-12 made the playoff at 11-1 and with zero wins over ranked team, we as Notre Dame fans would rightfully be infuriated. Sure. So we can't then make the case that Notre Dame should have been in with a loss to the only ranked team they played all year. And when I'm talking about ranked team, I'm talking about how you finished. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's the reality of it. you got to beat people. It's not about the loss. It's about you had no wins. Because Notre Dame just came off a season in which they had a loss that was far more of a convincing loss to a playoff team, right, than the one they just had. And let's not forget, 
Notre Dame got in with a loss in 2020 over a Cincinnati team that went undefeated. Cincinnati was undefeated in 2020, mm-hmm. and Notre Dame still got in with a loss, right? And it wasn't because they had, you know, because why? Because they beat Clemson. They beat the mm-hmm. number one team in the country. They had a great win. They handled mm-hmm. their business. So, yeah. uh, and the other part is your premise is wrong. Jack Swarbrick does, is voted for expansion. He, he was part of the committee that made the expansion proposal. So I don't think that that Notre Dame and Swarbrick don't want expansion. Swarbrick has been a big proponent of expansion. He is not, as far as I know, he has had some other proposals he liked for expansion in a different way. But as far as I know, Jack Swarbrick has never been a no, 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 it's got to stay at four person. I think he sees value in there being more opportunities for Notre Dame because there's still some teams we mentioned that would have got in, you know, for Notre Dame that, that didn't get in. So I, I, I would disagree with that a lot of that premise. Terry Washburn says the new defensive coordinator says, let me evaluate and come up with the system. Does that mean we would, could see a new wrinkle to the defense or is he deciding between four, three and three, four? Um, I think you misread what he said, Terry, Ryan, I don't know if you heard coach golden's comments, but he, what he was saying was, look, first of all, he's not going to come up with a brand new system. That's been made very clear. They're going to incorporate a lot of stuff that was already here because that's what the players do. Well, what he's saying is I'm going to evaluate the players and then kind of figure out kind of the, the, the different things that we're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's not about deciding four, three or four, three, four, because neither of those are going to be the options. It's going to be, you know, a four, two, five, a three, three, five, like kind of a hybrid, like it's been mm-hmm. now he is going to run the defense. It's going to be his defense, but he's accepting certain principles and philosophies that Marcus Freeman likes and, right. and, and feels the town is built around. So, I, I I think you're taking that comment a little bit too lit, not literally because I think he meant it literally, but you're you're taking it to to an extreme that I don't think he intended in regards to he has no clue what he's going to run, but he's got to watch the players first. I, mm-hmm. I think it's like we know what, who we're going to be, but what do we do more four down or three down? What well, depends on the players? We're going to do more zone or man? Well, that depends on the players. I have zone concepts I like. I have man concepts I like. Which one are we going to are we going to live more on? Is going to be determined by the players. I have about 15 blitz packages I love. We're only going to carry five or six of them in a year. That's just how a lot of coaches are. Like, I got all these great concepts, but we're only going to carry a certain amount. Are we going to be a more of a, a blitz team because of the talent we have, we don't have? I mean, I got to know what I have first before I'm going to do that. When I said, yeah. do, you like, do you like to run on first and 10 or throw on first and 10? My answer is going to be, okay, what kind of team do I have? What's the opponent? Good. You know what I mean? There's, there's always got to be that kind of context to it. Ryan, do you have anything to – I'm just gonna. I mean, he's coming off a Super Bowl, right? He just accepted the job. He probably hasn't seen everybody, right? He hasn't seen what his team looks like, and he needs to understand what he has for at his disposal in order to understand what the team is best. I, I, I honestly, I dislike the question sometimes because for me, if you're a if you're a true defensive guy and you and you understand how to utilize things best, then you're not a base four front or you're not a base three front you're whatever the your team is best right like you mm-hmm. you kind of cur- curtail and you cater to what your team does best so um i i think like you said it's going to be a multiple fronts because it has been traditionally under marcus freeman there's going to be a philosophy that's in place but from there it's coach golden to decide what he does with it and i think that he's gonna he's had experience in both three-man fronts and four-man fronts during his coaching career so i'm not mm-hmm. worried about the 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 battle between is it a four man front? Is it a three man front? I think it'll be whatever is best in the certain situation. Ideally. Yep. Here's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Connor Patton. Hey guys. Thank you for the super chat, Connor. I haven't seen you in a little bit. 
Hey guys, remember when all the assistant coaches came out to praise Brian Kelly's recruiting? How can that be analyzed with our current knowledge? Let me, let me first say it should be analyzed now the same way I analyzed it then. And that was, it wasn't all the coaches. It was two. It was Mike Elson and it was Brian Polian. Brian Polian was the biggest hype man that I've ever seen as an, for an assistant coach. I mean, it was, you know, hey, Coach Kelly, you want me to dance? I'll dance. You want me to tap dance? I'll t- you, know, you want me to say how great you are? Because that's who he was. That's how he got to where he got to. That and his last name. I'm just going to keep it real with you, okay? Mike Elson was a good soldier. And as the recruiting coordinator, he has to push back against certain narratives. There was no coach that I know that ever, ever talked to me off the record about how good Brian Kelly was as a recruiter. Not a one. Not a one. So that, that there's a reason it was just those two coaches. You've never heard Marcus Freeman get out and talk about how great of a recruiter Brian Kelly was. You know, he mentioned, you know, coach, and because you have, and he's your he's your freaking boss. You can't come and say, that'd be nice if we had a head coach would make a flipping phone call every now and then. You can't do that. But the hype men, especially Brian Polian, those are the guys that kind of come out and do the whole, you know, put when you come out that forcefully and defend your head coach on a signing day about his recruiting, it's agenda driven, not yeah, not I mean, if you're doing it with Marcus Freeman because you just signed the number one class, that's a different deal. But this was mm-hmm. pushing back against the narrative that Brian Kelly wasn't doing A, B, C, and D, and they were trying to push back against that narrative. It was a narrative driven as opposed to fixing it by just doing a better job. In typical Brian Kelly fashion, he would he would fix it by let's change the narrative as opposed to actually fixing the problem. And that's right. – I can see you got some stuff you want to say about this, Ryan. Well, well no, I, I was just going to – and you t- you took it before I was going to kind of put it out there. If, if there is a need to defend someone, usually that's a big red flag that, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably not all squeaky clean, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that's kind of – the minute that someone has to come and defend your ability as a recruiter probably tells you all you need to know. You, you don't. You're, I don't think that you're going to have to see anybody, at least not in the near future here, have to come out and say, oh, Marcus Freeman's a great recruiter on staff because it's just known. It is assumed. Mm-hmm. You do not have mm-hmm. to verify that. Things that are known commodities do not need verification and they do not need people standing up for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like those things are well known. The fact right. that people had to come to the forefront and defend – tells all the narrative that you need to know. It tells the full story, in my opinion. Right. Uh, agree completely. <laughs> Jojo Pineda with a question. I just got I just got asked this by somebody uh, on my Twitter feed or on my a text message. So I assume somebody put a story out about Chris Vizina, I'm assuming. Uh, mm-hmm. But Jojo Pineda asks, if, if Vizina, that's Chris Vizina, the quarterback from Alabama. Yeah. If Vizina wants to pick Notre Dame before more chooses, then what does Notre Dame do? I want more, and Mike and uh, Mike Singer from On Three is putting a prediction. We might get more. First of all, I, I don't know why you're Jojo. You listen to the show every day. I don't know why we need to throw out Mike Singer's opinion. This isn't a shot on Mike Singer, but I've been telling you this for how long? So you only believe it now because Mike Singer says so. You know what I mean? Like I've been telling y'all for months that Notre Dame is in a good position with with Dante Moore. I I, I don't know how else I need to say it. Right? We're not going to do the crystal ball thing. We're not going to do the just listen to what we say. I mean nobody's been paying attention to recruiting is all of a sudden sh- should be all of a sudden like for us recruiting should be shocked that, Oh wow. People think no, I'm going to get Dante more. Duh. Been telling you this <laughs> for a while, you know? Uh, but honestly, Jojo, to answer the first part of your question in most years, I'd say, I think you got to take Vizina 
because he's a really good player. He's a top 100 quarterback. I like him better than Jackson Arnold, Ryan. I don't know what you think of Chris Vizina. I'll ask you that in a second. In yep. most years, I'd say, you know what? you got to take Vizina because he's a really good football player. But Notre mm-hmm. Dame is in that unique situation where Dante's a special talent, and they are in desperate need of another elite quarterback. And I say another because I still believe Tyler Buckner can be that guy. But sure. Dante is special. He's a great fit at Notre Dame in so many ways. Not even not even getting into the scheme fit, just 4.0 student, you know, great leader, smart kid, wise, all those kind of things. Local, I think that that this is the year because this twenty, and I think here's the other part, Ryan. This 2023 class is so important to Notre mm-hmm. Dame. Kind of like Notre Dame with 21 and 22, they got some big time players. 22 especially, like they got they're getting so much closer. This is the kind of class that can push you over the top. And you need that five-star quarterback. Chris Vazine is a heck of a player. He doesn't quite move the needle from a everybody around him standpoint the way a Dante Moore does, the way Arch Manning would. It just mm-hmm. that's just the reality. So I I I, I really like Chris Vazine as a player. It's mm-hmm. just I think in this situation, I think you have to see this one through. I think you have to see this one through, especially since like kind of what you said. If people are saying Notre Dame's the leader for Dante Moore, why would you then? panic and take another guy right yeah no and it's a great point i mean and again <clears throat> the answer to jackson arnold versus chris chris Vizina for me i guess to start out with is i think Vizina has a higher upside to him right so like down the road i could see him being a better college quarterback i, I like both players though to be very honest i would say at this point you know christopher Vizina is a, pl- a quarterback that most years would be an easy take and the best quarterback that Notre Dame would have probably over, you know, in a, in a little bit of stretch there. The, the big thing is though, is that again, you do not take the player when there's a, when there's a quarterback two and a half hours away, that is very much in the, in the conversation, right? Do not ruin Mm -hmm. the chance there. And I don't know. I just think taking the swing is Taking the swing is, you know, even if you think that there's some risk involved, that risk is worth the potential of losing Chris Vizina because we could all you could always circle back and try to rebuild right. that type of situation. So, right, it, I, I just think that it takes it makes it doesn't make any sense right now to force that hand when you are putting yourself in a good position for a potentially elite player that could take you to a different stage. I would also say in most years, your mm-hmm. take on Vizina, my take on Vizina would be true. I think the whole you got it's all in for Dante is a unique circumstance based on all these different factors kind of coming to a head at once. With it being Marcus Freeman's first year, with with Tommy Reese needing to finally prove some things that I think I'm gonna have an article about this weekend about kind of Tommy Reese and recruiting about what a Dante Moore could do for him from a perception standpoint, not just a practical standpoint. With this being such an important class, Ryan, with with coming up short at receiver the way you've done in recent years, like you've got to land an elite receiver class and, you know, who helps you more with that? There's just so many things that have kind of all kind of converged at this one moment that makes this 2023 cycle unique in a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, if you're in a similar situation and you're not sure where you stand with a, with a Dante Moore type and you know, you can get a Chris Vizina type, take them. I think this year is just is a unique circumstance, and you won't hear me making a lot of cases of being all in on a guy the way that I have Dante Moore. You just won't hear it often, but I, I think in this instance, I think it's needed. So, yep. um, 
Yeah, I think it's needed. And I I just love this. Stymie Snurdly has been paying attention to our show for years. I hear Arch Manning is opening up his options to include a few more schools, ducks under the table to avoid flying objects. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Snurdly. Well done, Snurdly. Well done. Well done. Uh, I I dig that. I dig that. So, uh, Jojo, I I think your question is good. I'm kind of busting your chops a little bit about the Mike Singer thing. I got no, no issues with Mike. This isn't a shot at Mike. It's just more of like a you know, I kind of feel like now that they're coming around to what we've been saying for months, it seems like it's new news, but this is what we've been saying for a while at Irish Breakdown. Patrick Barnes with a super chat. Thank you, Patrick. He asks, would you agree the upcoming season ceiling hinges on Tyler Buckner's production? Why or why not? Ryan, I'm going to have you first crack at this. The, I mean, so the absolute best of it. So, all right, let me, let me rephrase this for a second. Okay. So I think that there's a, I think there's still a substantial floor to it. Even if Tyler Buckner is good, but not great. Like if he's not as good as maybe we quite think he is, I still think that it's going to be a good football team. Cause I think that mm-hmm. the defense is going to be good. I think the offensive line is going to be incredibly improved. I think that the playmakers are better than a lot of people give them credit for. And I, I'm a fan of the coaching staff they're putting around. So I think the baseline is to be a good team. Now for this team to be a championship caliber team or competing for a national championship, potentially Tyler Buckner has to be very good. Right. So that's the difference for me. So I don't think that it all hinges in the fact that either you're really good or you're really bad. I think that you could be good if Tyler Buckner isn't quite as good as we think he is, but if he is the player that we think that he can be and he takes those steps, then I think you're going from just being a very good team to being a championship level contender. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I I don't think Tyler Buckner has to be Bryce Young for Notre Dame to be a playoff team this year. I, I don't. I think Notre Dame's going to have a better defense than Bama had this past year as a whole. I mean, there's no Will Anderson. It's because my love, love Isaiah Foskey. He's not going to have 31 and a half tackles for loss and 16 sacks in the regular season this year, right? But I think yeah. as a whole, I, I like – I like what Notre Dame has coming back. I, mm-hmm. I think Notre Dame has a chance to have a lot of talent around him. So I don't think it's like a if, like you said, Ryan, if Buckner's really good, they're going to play off. If he's just okay, they're six and six. It's not he'd have to be bad, and I don't think he's going to start enough games when they go six and six because if he's playing that poorly, Drew Pine's going to slide in and say, "I got this," you know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but to your point, yes, Notre Dame being can be a playoff team with Tyler Buckner being good. Notre Dame needs him to be really good to win a championship. Because the roster's not completely there yet, where they they can just like they they can't just Stetson Bennett you, right? I mean that's that's the other thing, right? And even then, I'd say if Bama doesn't have three bad injuries, they still win that game. And even if they just only have one of the three injuries, doesn't happen, they win that game, in my opinion. And three, we're talking about Job, Mechie, and then and then obviously Jameson Williams in during the game. But yeah, yeah, I I, I think that. If everything else plays great and Tyler's just okay, the ceiling is impacted to that to a degree. Sure. But I but I also would say if, if everything else isn't great, but Tyler's great, that still impacts the ceiling. So yeah, I think Tyler's Tyler's production this year and does have is gonna have a big say in what he does. Now, if if Marcus Freeman hadn't made some of the coaching changes that we would make, I would change my tune on this. If Jeff Quinn and with I don't mean this as a shot at Coach Quinn, because he really is a nice man. I do like him. It just he's just not a good O line coach in my opinion, at least not at Notre Dame. But if Jeff Quinn was still this O line coach, I would change my stance. I, I'd say no. It, it, 
it's it's gonna it's gonna be about the Buckner and the line. The line, but there's some so there's some things I'm assuming are gonna be true with this team. Like the line's gonna be a lot better, the defense is gonna be good, there's gonna be a lot of skill players. There's a lot of things I think Ryan and I are both assuming that then allow us to say it's about Tyler Buckner. That's at least that's kind of my my stance on that one. I agree. Yep. 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 So all right. That's a that's a really good question. Patrick, I appreciate that. David Knight, Joe Moore, Harry, he stand, or is that even a fair question? I think it's a very fair question. I don't think I can give you an answer because Joe Moore, I, I mean, when I when Joe Moore was still coaching, I was a teenager, right? So, I mean, I was just a Notre Dame fan. I wasn't like, man, did you see that hand placement on that down block? That was phenomenal, right? right? Like, <laughs> I, it just wasn't where I was. I just remember they had great lines every year. I think mm-hmm. Joe Moore, I think, was considered a legend for a lot longer. Than, yeah. than Harry Heastan has been because he was, I mean, Joe Moore was at Pitt during some mm-hmm. great Pitt teams uh, back in the day too. So I, I would say he probably has a, like, I don't think Harry Heastan was considered um, uh, amongst like, every, like now it's like pretty much everyone that doesn't have an agenda thinks Harry Heastan's a great coach, right? Sure. But that didn't come along until like being at Notre Dame for a little bit. Right. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think when they hired him, people thought, like, oh my gosh, Notre Dame hired a legend. Now, in right. you'll know this, right? In offensive line coaching circles, Harry was considered a legend, but mm-hmm. not the way that Joe Moore was, just kind of the 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 common perception of everyone. But I mean, you know, let, let's not forget, I mean, Joe Moore was part of a national championship team at Pitt, I believe, right? Or at least a runner right. up, I, mm-hmm. I believe. So uh, I mean, he he had some legendary lines at Pitt before before he came to Notre Dame and and was part of a national championship in Notre Dame. So, uh, yeah, that would be that would be my the one thing that I think makes those two a, a little bit a little I, bit different. I think it's impo- I mean, it's impossible to answer my opinion just because I mean, obviously, like comparing errors to a degree. But like you said, I I haven't studied Joe Moore's technical aspects of coaching the offensive line position, right? So like we right. we don't know. As teachers, they may be very close together, but obviously Joe mm-hmm. Moore has the reputation and has that legend, that legacy that has transcended and now has an award named after him. So right. I guess by default we're gonna go Joe Moore, but I, I don't I'm not educated enough on the technical aspects of what Joe Moore taught right. to have an actual fundamental evaluation of him as a teacher and as a right. coach. We're, if we're talking entirety of a career, correct. Then now Moore. Yeah. right. But here's the thing, because like I'm looking at it like so. 76 was the only un- unquestioned pit championship Pitt had, but in 1881 they had uncontested championships. But there was a three year stretch uh, with Pitt that, and Joe Moore was a part of the a part of that entire thing. He was at Pitt from 77, so the year after they won the national championship through 85, right? So that was span three different coaches. But there was a stretch in there in in, in 79 to 81. Well, they went 11 and three, 11 and one, three straight years and won the Fiesta Bowl, won the Gator Bowl, won the Sugar Bowl. And, you know, he produced some dudes. I mean, I think Jimbo was a Jimbo covert, right? Was one of his offensive line proteges back then. So that's a lot of success. Now, if Notre Dame has a similar success over the next few years and they finish number two a couple of times and they have a couple unclaimed national titles, because remember back then there wasn't just one clear title. It was the UPI gives one, the AP gives one, you know, so they even then they won some titles. It just wasn't the main one uh, that gives you the, un, the the one that you claim. So you know if if the, if if Pitt 
is claiming titles the way that Alabama claims title. Joe Moore has two national championship rings at Pitt, right? I mean, so, and then of course he won one at Notre Dame. Well, that's kind of the thing that's missing from Harry's legacy. If that changes over the next five years, then Harry's legacy changes. But as of today, yeah, I agree with you. I think Joe, I mean, it's the, it's the Joe Moore award, not the Harry <laughs> Heastan award, right? Right. Now, so right Harry now, Heastan, right. Yeah. Harry Heastan is responsible for Notre Dame being O-line U because when Joe Moore was here in the nineties, that wasn't a thing. Sure. That wasn't an expression. So that would be, that'd be my response. Here's a good one for you, Ryan. Cause I, mm-hmm. I know you have some very uh, strong opinions on this quarterback. Uh, one of these quarterbacks being man- mentioned. If Bevan O'Neill asks if Buck Tyler Buckner takes a leap and plays well, what's uh, the player comp for him? And we, we've talked about this before, but he gives some specifics. Mm-hmm. He asks about Matt Carroll, Sam Howe, or Samuel Sanders. I don't know who Samuel Sanders is. I have no clue who that is. Is that Spencer Sanders? No clue. Okay, so let's I'm go with the sure. first two, Matt Carroll or Sam Howell. Okay, so Matt Corral from Ole Miss, who if you watch Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss passing attack, they run very heavy RPO system. A lot of easy reads for a guy like Matt Corral, which that's kind of the – it's kind of the big question about him right now is, you know, it's it's not like a traditional drop back system. There's not a, like a plethora of reads going through and he's kind of a lightly built type of uh, pocket passer who's got some extension ability, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a great runner on the next level. He's kind of one of the assumed guys. Sam Howe on the complete opposite of the spectrum. He's in Phil Longo's offense, which is, you know, air raid elements. And he's a big, strong passer who was, I mean, I think he's got maybe the best deep arm in this year's class, right? Like his accuracy deep down the field is fantastic. He drops it in the bucket. He play, I mean, just extremely consistent working down the field. Now, some of the underneath stuff is a tick slow because he's just kind of, and that's honestly a product of that long go offense a lot, right? Like if you know the air ride, it's running on a vertical plane a ton. And that's kind of how Phil Longo runs it on the outside. Think of like DK Metcalf when he was at Ole Miss where he was running pretty much just fades down the sideline the majority of the time. So that's kind of strategically what it looks like there. Sam Howell also, really, I mean, did a lot better as a runner this year mm-hmm. than you would have anticipated outside of structure. So if you're asking me who that he compares most to, I guess I would say Sam Howell, even though I think that Tyler Buckner is a much better athlete than Sam Howell. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't see the comparison between Matt Corral at all. Cause he's kind of a lightly built guy, more of a, you know, quick twitch guy than maybe a straight line runner and, I don't know. I don't think it's a fair comparison either sense though. So very different style of quarterbacks and uh, Bevan O'Neill, if you would like to put into the chat at some point who the third person is, I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for it. And I don't, I don't, there's yeah. definitely nobody in the, in the class in 2022 for NFL draft. That is Sanders. So unless you meet Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma, I'm not hundred percent sure who that Spencer, third person is. Spencer Rattler. Rattler. Rattler went back to school too, though. He's at South Who's Carolina Spencer now. Sanders? Spencer Sanders is from Oklahoma State, the quarterback. Oklahoma State, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, wait yeah. a minute. Maybe that – yeah, that might be what he's referring to. There you go. Well, Spencer Sanders is yeah. sort of similar to Matt Corral. Like, he's a little lightly yeah. built player. You know, decent arm. I, I think he has a yeah. pretty strong arm, good athlete. Everything is just very erratic and inconsistent. Footwork is kind of a hot mess, but he's got some dual threat ability. To yeah, him. Notre Dame made him look a lot better than he actually is. Yes. They made him look a lot better than he is. I do not like the Matt uh, Corral comparison for no, Tyler Buckner it, at all. In no way. Yeah. yeah, especially character and all that kind of – I mean, to me, I think the part you hit on that was good there is is Tyler – I don't know how Matt Corral would handle running Tommy Reese's offense. I don't think he'd handle it well at all. 
And I think that 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 Lane Kiffin did a great. I actually think Lane Kiffin had one of his best coaching jobs this year, because Ryan, you and I talked a lot about Matt Corral in 2020, very very turnover prone quarterback, and very like he's just going to have those days where he looks like he's a first round pick, and he's going to have those days where he looks like this kid shouldn't be on scholarship, right? I mean that's just kind of how he was. And you you want an example? Go watch last year's LSU game. Or Arkansas game. He threw 11 interceptions in those two games combined, right? I think what they did a great job of this year was limiting a lot of his reads, even more so making the run game an even greater part of what they did, which took a lot of pressure off him from the need to have to go out there and put the team on his shoulders game after game after game. And so I think I think those are things this year that that, that I think helped him and they kind of mm-hmm. built now they didn't run the ball a lot more than they did last year but they ran the ball in my opinion more effectively than they did last year they they mm-hmm. and they built around the run game where in the past it was like the run game was a kind of a complement to the throwing game this year the the throwing game i felt was a complement to the running game more than it was in the past at Ole miss which i think is a byproduct of him knowing what he had at quarterback <laughs> that's exactly and it's so troubling because obviously a lot of people are talking about Matt Corral potentially being a first-round quarterback in, in this draft, and it's just the biggest red flag for me that for a quarterback to be his best and to, for a team to be its best, you limited the right. authority that he had on the offense and the ability to make decisions. Like They literally were like, we are going to simplify this even more than a Lane Kiffin offense is simple to right. begin with. We're going to take it even a step back because – we know that you have the volatility aspect to your game. I just think that's a massive red flag. I'm thinking about a guy like yeah. Corral. Yeah. Have you thought of a better comp for Tyler Buckner? Yet? It's just so hard because no. we haven't seen Tyler Buckner playing in college as his whole game. He played when he got on the field on Saturdays this year. It was to perf- it was to play in a specific, narrowly defined role. And yeah. I think we, as all Notre Dame fans and, and analysts, need we, let's see him go play a f- couple full games first before we before we start kind of pigeoning him you know pigeonholing him into a certain type of a certain type of quarterback that would be my my uh my comparison but between those two I think you're right it's it's Sam Howell's the better of the two a little closer yeah yep Gideon Rosa Notre Dame football if Notre Dame lands Dante Moore how good of a chance do you think we have to land Cardinal Tate I it drastically improves, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I, I would yeah. say that Notre Dame's in a pretty good spot as it stands, and it would be much better if they landed a guy like Dante Moore. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I I'm Ryan's more optimistic on Carnell than I am because him and Sean have talked and Sean has interviewed Carnell. I almost I honestly feel like if they don't get Carn if they don't get Dante, they won't I don't they're not a package deal. I'm not saying that, but I think that just the way that Dante that Carnell Tate's recruitment has kind of gone and some things I hear. I think that 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 for him to pick Notre Dame, it's going to require them to get Dante Moore. I, I I hope I never have to find out. I hope I have to never find out the opposite. If if where you go if they don't get Dante Moore, because I'd like to see him get not Dante Moore. But uh, Ryan is correct; it greatly increases their chances. No no question about it. David Knight asks: This is a this is an interesting one. Let's say Tyler Buckner has a productive year, and Notre mm-hmm. Dame was fortunate enough to get Dante Moore. What happens then? They duke it out in the spring and fall camps. 
I mean, I'm always a fan of competition, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not going to bring in Dante Moore just to not compete. Mm -hmm. You would think, though, if if Tyler has a productive year, my assumption would just be that he'd be too good to keep off the field, right? right? And he would just kind of have the upper hand because he has the experience factor. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't think I'm ever going to bring in a five-star caliber player to the degree that we we both Mm -hmm. believe Dante Moore can be and just bring him in and just say, nah, you're just – take the year off. We'll we'll start start this up next year. Even if – like the only time you could get away with that is if you brought a guy in during Trevor Lawrence's final year. Like, look, mm-hmm. dude, Trevor's our guy. But even then, you're yeah. still preparing every day. Like you, you, you're a Trevor Lawrence injury away, and especially in 2020, a Trevor Lawrence COVID nineteen positive test away yep. from being the starting quarterback. You've got to get a guy ready. But to your point, you don't recruit a, a guy like Dante Moore and say, "Hey, man." come in, sit for a couple years, and then you'll get your chance. You He has to know that that he's not being handed anything. I mean, because Tyler Buckner's a good player. But he also has to understand that you're going to get your shot. And Tyler needs to understand that, you know. And 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 every just like Tyler, you know, when he came in behind Drew Pine understood that. You know, it wasn't like, hey, you're going to come behind and sit behind Drew Pine for three years. You know, you, you're going to get your chance to compete. And if you're the best guy, you're the best guy. I also think when we say how, how does Tyler have a productive year, I, I think it depends on what kind of productive year. If he has a, a Bryce Young type year, let's be honest, Dante's not beating him out, right, barring injury. But if he has a productive year in that he has an Ian Book caliber year, yeah, Dante Moore should get a chance to push him. So I think it also depends on, on number one, what type of production we're talking about, but number two, what's behind that production? Is it because Tyler's growing and he's evolving, he's making great reads, or is it like, they're running like a lot of RPOs, Ryan, and he's throwing five yard hitches that guys are turning into 50 yard gains. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that's, there's a whole, there's so much to it, but to, to, to Ryan's point, none of that matters because at the end of the day, well, it matters, but like at the end of the day, none of that's going to change the prem, the, 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 the fact that when you bring in a Dante Moore, you give him a chance to battle. Right. I mean, that's, that's the reality because that's, when a kid like Dante comes in and he gets a chance to compete, you know when you've been beat out. You know when the other guy's further along than you. I wouldn't say more talented than you because I don't think anyone's going to be more talented than Dante when he shows up as far as throwing the ball. But when you watch Tyler Buckner do some things he does and you see his command of the offense and all those kind of things, you're going to be like, look, I'm not happy I got beat out, but I get it. That's why a Bryce Young is going to not be happy. You brought was it you that brought this up the other day where he was not happy that he got beat out, but then he learned from it and it just made him a better player. I, I think that was you that brought that up. Might I don't have think been, so. Maybe it was Sean. See, this is mm-hmm. what I love. We have so many more guests now. It's not just me and Vince all the time. I don't even remember who said stuff. But you usually like great, like really good players know when that dude was just a dude beat me out. Right? He just I got to now. I need to know where my game needs to grow. What you don't want is when a guy, to your point, Ryan, if 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 you get into camp and hey, you're, he's our starter, and I'm like, dude, I'm out playing this dude every day, and right. they still keep trotting him out there starting lot. That's when you see guys transfer, mm-hmm. right? That's when guys leave. You know, Kyler Murray sat for a couple years behind Baker Mayfield because he knew that guy's really good. I'm gonna get my chance and I'm gonna do this, right? right. Tua sat behind Jalen Hurts, right, because he knew he was gonna get his chance. Mac Jones sat behind both of them because he knew I got to keep working. They're better than me right now. I'm gonna get my chance. As long mm-hmm. as a kid feels he's been given a chance to compete and he really, he sees that the guy in front of him is just better than he is right now, guys like that will stay more often than not. And Dante strikes me as the kind of kid that's going to understand, again, the if he picks Notre Dame in the first place, he's thinking bigger picture. If he wants to start day one, he's going to go to Michigan State. 
right? I mean, that that's the deal. He knows he's come Notre Dame where not only is he going to have to battle Tyler Buckner, but Notre Dame's going to go out and try to get another big-time quarterback the next year and the next year and the next year. That's why, I mean, do you think anybody goes to Bama with thinking, yeah, they're not going to recruit him in my position the next three years? No. They know I got to beat out a dude in front of me, and I got to watch out the dude that's going to come behind me. And I think yeah. most great players – aren't phased by that. And if he is phased by that, then he's not a guy you want anyway. Cause you can't, you're not going to win with that guy, Ryan. I saw, I saw a uh, projected, I think it was the running back depth chart for uh, Alabama next year. And I think their fifth stringer was a five-star recruit yeah. on, on a ranking and stuff. It, it, I think it's understood, especially when you're building a team and in, in theory for Notre Dame, that is going to compete for championships. Like you have to know that there's going to be competition everywhere. And that's what Alabama, I mean, there's guys on Alabama every single year that, break out right but look back and you're like oh well he was still a four-star kid he was still a five-star kid he just had to wait his turn and i think when you're building a, a program like that that's just an a, a, i think it's a, just an understood thing like you don't you're not you're not going to take it to the next level if you're afraid of competition for sure and that, that's uh, it's just something that you can't be afraid of and for coaches to be open to it. I know we've seen a, pe- a lot of people in, in that, and not only in this chat, just in general from Notre Dame sense that are like, why are Notre Dame afraid to play freshmen? Why are they play- afraid to play young players? Coaches can't be afraid of it. And if they're, if they're the best players, they have to play. But in this scenario, again, assuming Tyler Buckner has a really productive year and he took that big step and he's the guy that we think he is, you would expect that a freshman quarterback in Dante Moore would not beat out a junior quarterback in a Tyler Buckner, mm-hmm. but still you have that opportunity on the table and you let Dante Moore compete because you're trying to get to a point where competition breeds success. It can't be something where you're just like, nope, you're good. These are our guys. You guys sit over there because then, like Brian said, those those players are they get a little salty off to the sideline, man. And they're like, wait, why am I not getting a chance to compete? I'm playing to this extri- this high of a level. Why am I here? Why did they bring me in if they're not going to let me compete? There's a lot of layers to it, and I think that you have to let these guys compete. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here's here's there's a couple questions I'm gonna have that I'm gonna really look forward to seeing you answer, but I'm gonna kind of work down to them, right? Here's a super mm-hmm. chat from Garth Cassidy. Thank you, Garth. He says, Is Tyler going to be Charlie Whitehurst? And if we get Dante, he would be our Taj Boyd. No. First of all, <laughs> Tyler Buckner and Charlie Whitehurst do not belong in the same conversation. I know Charlie played in the NFL for a while, but no, no. That's cl- that's clipboard Jesus, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> a great yes. Has he been supplanted by Chase Daniel yet, or is that still a thing? Oh, no, um, no. Charlie Charlie Whitehurst is clipper, clipboard Jesus, man. He lasted a long time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, and didn't play. And when he did, he was terrible. 
uh, if anything, if we're going to use the Clemson analogy, if anything, Tyler Buckner would be Taj Boyd and Dante would be Deshaun Watson. But let's Fair. not just like this is this is the one bad thing about recruiting is we're starting so early now, like we're already writing off a freshman on the team for a junior in college or high school, right? Like for all we know, Tyler Buckner is going to have a chance to be Deshaun Watson and Dante Moore is going to be Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, I mean, I think those are far more likely than Tyler is going to be Charlie Whitehurst and Dante's Taj Boyd. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, Ryan, but I I have very strong, I think if it's going to be one or the other, it's going to be, Taj Deshaun or Deshaun Trevor as opposed to Charlie and Taj. Now I'll I'll leave it short because I agree completely. I, I'm not going to compare anybody to Charlie Whitehurst, man. I I didn't even dislike Charlie, but like, yeah, uh, different type of player, different caliber of player, in my opinion, different level mm-hmm. of talent. Yes. All righty. So let's get to the next one. Thank you for that again, Garth. David Lowe, what are what other options are we looking at besides Dante Moore? Okay, referring to uh, Notre Dame. Yep. So we mentioned Christopher Vizina a ton, right? He's out of Alabama. Just got a Clemson offer pretty recently. Um, Avery Johnson's another kid in Kansas who's a little bit, you know, again, quote unquote, on the back burner right now. Notre Dame's not pushing as hard right there. And then Jackson Arnold's the other big guy who was committed to Oklahoma out of Denton, Texas. So those are the four guys that are high on the board. They're also keeping tabs on Marcus Stokes, who is a quarterback that has not been offered, but they're just, you know, keeping in contact just in case, you know, it's, it's almost like a plan B type of conversation, seeing what the board might fill out with in case they do not get a guy like a Dante Moore, but the board, you know, as again, as follows Jackson Arnold, who's committed to Oklahoma, Christopher Vizina out of Alabama, Avery Johnson out of Kansas. And then Marcus Stokes is just another guy to kind of file away just in case things don't go well with Dante. Next question from David Fryman. He says, which Notre Dame player hits the weight room the hardest and what's their best lift, both on the current team and all time? I just had to read this. Like I have, this was just a funny question because I have no idea. I have no clue. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what uh, Quentin Nelson was doing in the weight room. Oh gosh. What what did he put up at the combine? Was, didn't he get into the thirties? He had, to be in the, I, I, he had to be in the mid-30s, I would yeah. think, yeah. yeah. I think McGlinchey, like, it wasn't 30s, but I think McGlinchey did, like, 25, which wasn't yeah, bad for his arm length, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for which a, for his arm length, like, because I yes. think he, all, he had 34, 35-inch arms, so, like, yeah. it's not, I mean, yeah. for people that don't know, like, bench press is a short arm guy thing, right? Like, that's, right. Not, you don't want long levers and that type that's of thing. That's why Will Hernandez was able to put up so many. Exactly. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, yeah. you know, because the point is, it has further, further to travel. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's just, it's like, you know, like those longer limb dudes. It's like, yeah, that, that bar doesn't have to go real far. Uh, exactly. You know, with those kind of guys. So uh, I will, what I did want to say though, is I, I think that what I, what I would find fascinating is a conversation of which lefts, which lifts are most important to which positions. I think is a really important one, right? Like, so I think those are like, there are some positions where I think power clean, you know, and things along those lines are the best things. There's others where like, you know, squats kind of important. I would Mm -hmm. say that I don't think bench is the the most important for any others, but bench is going to tell you a lot more about an offensive lineman, defensive lineman. than it's going to tell you about a wide receiver. Why? Because benches is, is is applicable to playing in the lines. You get Mm -hmm. a guy on your body, you need to press him off. Well, that's, that's a bench press. Uh, receivers aren't doing a whole lot of this, right? I mean, if you know what I mean, like it's just, you know, even blocking, it's like more like stay in the guy's way, you know what yeah. I mean? Like don't just let him get past you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and you know, but the, the thing about Quentin Nelson's, he did 35. 
35. He yeah. also has 34 inch arms. That's what, again, yeah. another reason it's just absurd that he was able to put up those kind of numbers because I mean, 34 inch arms to put up 35 bench press is just, I mean, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful dude. Yeah. Uh, but you know, those are, and I'll say this. I do. If you're ever going to talk to me about your, your, uh, oh, and for, I brought up Will Hernandez. He did 37 on the bench. It's 32 inch arms. It's good. Two inches short, right? Like that's that stuff kind of matters. I can't remember who broke the. I, I think it was Stephen Paya that came out of Oregon State, defensive tackle. I think he because he was only like he was like two ninety five or three hundred pounds, and he put it up like forty seven times, mm-hmm. forty eight times, some crazy mm-hmm. number. Like it was that. an insane like, number. Yeah, it didn't even make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he was. Um, I'm trying He's to a pull short up. arm guy. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to pull up his uh, his yeah thirty two thirty two and eight was mm-hmm. his was his um his deal and i'm trying to find 49 reps 40 yeah i think it, i think he has the combine record 49 yeah. reps which that's is absurd. just nuts. Anyway, that's 14 more than quentin nelson <laughs> it's nuts man it's, it's absurd and, and 30, he, 30 32 and some like 32 and some change it's not like the shortest arms of all yeah. time either like it's it's shorter right. but it's not like crazy yeah. small i've always wanted to kind of watch that one because i'm like hold on a second let's actually count these did did he have like one of those like really nice you know evaluators that day that was given it like some of those guys i'm like how did he not count that one like that looked good to me you know like yeah because yeah. what you because the other thing too is it's it's not like you get those dudes in the weight room that are like and like it's like two half they no you gotta lock you gotta you gotta get extension on that thing too like you can't just yeah. do like those dudes that you know those guys at the gym that are going like halfway mm-hmm. or and they're kind of five lock six out. no lock it's, out lock that's out one. Yeah. that's two that's <laughs> three you know uh yeah. it's a whole different deal man yeah, uh, whole different deal. Absolutely. The, cra- the craziest one. It's a completely different segue, but I saw a video circulating the other day of uh, Larry Allen, right? Where he was, um, mm-hmm. the he had like, dude. yeah, they ha- he, he said the Marcus Ware said he walked into the weight room and he was on the incline bench and he had um, 10, uh, he had, he told DeMarcus, hey, put five plates on. And he was like, wait, how am I supposed to, sp- how am I supposed to split five plates on two sides? He's like, mm-hmm. oh no, five plates on each side. And it was like, and he put chains on. So it was like 550 pounds. And he said he repped it 10 times on the incline bench and racked it himself. It was like, dude, what is insane? That's insane. The- <laughs> that doesn't insane. make any sense, man. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And he went to Simona State, like just yeah. nuts, man. Just insane. Nuts. Yeah. Bevan O'Neill responded, Ryan, and he said he was yeah. talking about uh, the Oklahoma. So Spencer Sanders was who he was talking yeah. about. So thanks, good, Bevan. Good, good catch on that one. Absolutely good catch on that one. Okay, let's get to some more questions here. In here, 808 Eds. If we land Dante Moore, do you think the difference between his play style and Buckner's play style will negatively affect our receiver recruits being a running quarterback like what happened with CJ? First of all, can I say something about CJ? Yeah. That narrative drives me flipping nuts because CJ committed to a Notre Dame offense that was far less effective production wise than the offense he decommitted from. Okay. Notre Dame threw for less yards, less yards per play. They were a worse passing team when he committed to Notre Dame than what followed his commitment. CJ was just kind of using that as like a thing to say, hey, I don't, you know, he wanted to stay out West. Simple as that. But he didn't want to just say, I don't want to go away from home because that doesn't sound like a real, like, oh, you're afraid to be away from your mama. It's look, here's the reason he didn't decommit from Notre Dame because of the offense. That's, and that's what pisses me off about that, about that whole narrative is that's not why. Because Notre Dame was was shredding late in the year, it, it, and if that's true, then why didn't he recommit to Notre Dame after 
after Jack Cohn went out through for 500 yards in the Fiesta Bowl against one of the 10 best pass defenses in the country. That that it's like when people say, "Oh, yeah, it's too cold there. It's the girls." Or no, that's just an excuse that they're using because they don't they don't they just want to go there. You know, I mean, so that really bothers me. But uh, in, in reading your question, I don't think Dante Moore's style would negatively affect receivers at all. I think, and, and I'm I'm not maybe I'm not reading this correctly. I think if if receivers are going to be impacted by a style, they're going to be more impacted by Tyler Buckner negatively than than Dante Moore because Dante's more of a passer where Tyler's more of a runner. Maybe that's what he meant. And I'm just not reading it correctly, which is I think it's possible. Is, is it short-term versus long-term is what this is what the question's asking. Uh, which, I, I mean, I think there's an element of – I mean, like I understand where the question's coming from. I would say that, again, I think Tyler Buckner is a little better passer than we're giving credit for. Is Dante Moore a more gifted passer? Sure, absolutely. Is the offense going to change – Not not – as so much from a schematic perspective, but just from a usage perspective. Yeah. Like you're probably going to pass the ball a little more when you have a Dante comparative to a Tyler, cause you're just going to run more quarterback run game. You're going to run more read. Like you're just going to do things a little bit differently than you would do with a Dante, but I, you're not going to drastically change the offense. In my opinion, like the, the fundamentals and the philosophy are still going to be the same. So I understand the question. I, I, I don't think though, to answer it, I don't think that it's going to negatively affect it at all. If anything, right. I think, I think the wide receivers are going to be more concerned about long-term with Dante right. than like, oh, I have to play with Do- Tyler Buckner for a bridge year, quote-unquote, right. or something like that. You know? If Tyler Buckner is exactly what he showed this year, and I think that's where I keep coming back to is this is a kid that threw for almost 5,000 yards as a junior in high school mm-hmm. and over 50 touchdowns. Like Again, Tyler Buckner did what he did as a freshman because that was his role, right? And he's – yeah, we'll just have to let it – to let it play out to let it play out all right michael asks with uh with mike marcus freeman's first staff now in the fold uh, are assistants hired with potential thought to possibly replace coordinators if they move on do parker Dylan, mickens washington have upside to be ocdc one day uh i think washington of those four the first one that pops out in my head is out washington just because teams are already pursuing for that and i think his coaching he here's the unique thing about our washington Mm-hmm. You don't see many former defensive linemen that were running backs coaches as full time assistants, and and he was that. So I mean, he's coached on offense for multiple seasons at Boston College, which means I always like those guys because like when you have coached on offense, you now know how they think, you know how they game plan, you know what kind of goes into it. I feel like you have an even better understanding, just like you have, you know, offensive coaches that used to coach defense, and I think that's something that helped Brian Kelly early in his career when he actually worked at you know, being, an, uh, you know, just the game is his background is that he was a defensive, he played linebacker and was a defensive coordinator at Grand Valley before he became the head coach and then eventually kind of transitioned to an offensive guy. And, and I think that's one of those things that to me, uh, Al Washington has that unique perspective and just, just his resume, his background, t- listening to him talk. I think he's the first one that jumps out to me. I don't know if they hired Jared Parker with the thought of he'd be the guy to replace Tommy Reese if he leaves. I hope not. I hope he, he, was, does, he does have experience as an offensive coordinator. Yeah, right? as a, so. he didn't call plays at West Virginia, but he was the coordinator. Right. I, I would hope right. that he would he would think bigger than that. To be honest with you, and that's not a knock on Coach Parker. It's just I, I don't know if that's like I just I don't love that unless it's a guy that's a real dynamic guy, and I just don't know if enough about Jared Parker to say he's dynamic. I think Coach McCullough's next step will be as a head coach. I think mm-hmm. he'll be one of those guys that goes from assistant to head coach. 
I don't think every coach has to go from, you know, like Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, two guys that pop out of, uh, at me. Neither of them were coordinators before they became head coaches. Mm-hmm. So I think Coach McCullough would, would be more bypassing the OC thing to go to the head coach. Although I could see a role. I was talking with a friend last night. I could see a, maybe a role where if Tommy left after this year, not, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to, I'm just the hypothetical of this. Mm-hmm. Is is maybe Parker and Dillon working together as co coordinators kind of situation like Clemson had with Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott? So, uh, but I do think Al Washington's a guy that if you can keep him here for the next three four years, if if Al Golden has success and then becomes a head coach again, Al mm-hmm. Washington would be a guy that I would see transitioning in that role. Although by then Al Washington might be a guy that people are coveting to be a head coach, and that's really where Marcus Freeman wants to be. He wants to be a guy that people are poaching his coaches to be head coaches and his assistants to be coordinators because that makes it so much easier for you out and go get the next guy that's going to sure. fill that role. Yeah, it's it's I, like players. Well, we're we're seeing it with the Los Angeles Rams right now, right? Like every single year, their coaching staff is just getting poached for the next mm-hmm. head coach, right? Like they're trying to find the next Sean McVay, and that makes it more attractive of a situation, right. you know, because that's like a pipeline at that point. Out of the question. I would have said Washington as well, just because I know he's coached multiple positions and he has obviously the the background and the reputation as a recruiter. So like that would be another big bump. I don't know enough about Coach Mickens to say mm-hmm. like I I I just don't know enough. And like you said, McDeelan McCullough is a little bit not older. I think he's what 49. 49 so he's not yeah. yeah, so he's not like an older guy, but he seems like he's on the precipice like the next step to being a head coach type of of situation as well yeah i mean when you're 49 years old you're not like yeah i'll go be a coordinator somewhere for three years because now you're 52 and as we're seeing there's a trend to hiring younger coaches Mm -hmm. you know and and there comes a point in time where it's like you've kind of passed that window and Mm -hmm. and i think that's what happened with tony alford and i hope that that doesn't happen with dylan mccullough but that's why it's so important that, that notre dame have success which i think they will because i think then all of a sudden you start seeing some of that that you know Hey, he was with Andy Reid. He was there to be enemy. He was won a Super Bowl. Look, what we did at Notre Dame. You know, he groomed this. He was groomed this guy. He produced this. He worked with Marcus Freeman, and you know, and that's that's where you want to be. Is your guys are leaving for those head coaching opportunities if they want them? And Dylan McCall has not been shy about saying that's what he wants to be. That's why he turned down NFL jobs. He left the NFL in the first place was he wants to be a college head football coach. Which you know, I hope hopefully. Let's see the thing is you hope that Dylan McCall is not here for five years because if he's here for five years, it means he's getting turned down for head coaching jobs. You hope he's here for three or four and then gets that head coaching job. So that's absolutely you, you want to root for those kind of things. It just as long as guys are taking, you know, um not lateral moves, and then that head coach maybe leaves, just like something like that. Kay Grant with a super sticker. Thank you very, very much for that. Timeout Tom says, I disagree with Brian. The offensive line is the most influential part of the team. Example is the 2021 season. A quarterback and an offense can't function without a good offensive line. I don't remember saying the opposite of that. I think what I said was, is we're working with the assumption that Mm -hmm. the line's going to be good because if the line's not good, it doesn't matter. I thought that's exactly what I said. So I'm not sure what, Tom, you're agreeing or disagreeing with because. Well, this is our. This is our. This was this was arching back to the question about Buckner's ceiling, right? right. Like the team ceiling with Buckner. Right. So, um, yeah, I I, I felt like we were kind of both on the same wavelength where we thought that right. you know we were assuming defense is going to be good, offensive line is going to be improved. So right. we're just focused, hyper focused on the right. quarterback. Because what I said was, if Jeff Quinn was still at Notre Dame, then the offensive yeah. line would be my biggest concern. So Fair question. Perhaps yeah. I misspoke or, or or misunderstood Tom, but I don't I don't think we actually disagree 
on this one. I think we agree on this. It's just the difference is for the premise of that conversation, I'm assuming that the line's going to be good. I, I think it is. If the line's not good, to your, to your point, Tom, it doesn't matter how good the quarterback is, as we saw in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, you know, whose offensive line gave the quarterback more chances late in the game? You know, the, the Rams did, obviously. Benjamin says, listen to Harry he, Harry talk about fundamentals and was very happy that he is back. And he even cracked a joke. Uh, so we don't have video of it. Irish Illustrated has some good video out on uh, uh, about this. And Harry was talking about, which is something we talked about on the show is, you know, he, he, he was part of the reason he got was out of coaching is he wanted to be with his kids and his daughter was kind of going through high school and she was finishing and he wanted to be around her. And he was talking about how I could be, I could be at her soccer matches. And he was like, I'd be there for all of them. And I didn't have to be worrying about, you know, Robert Hainsey's bad pass sense or Aaron Banks falling on the ground. This is really funny because I know how close he is with Robert Hainsey. And you don't often see coach Eastan like cracking jokes like that about former players. I thought that was pretty cool. That's like awesome. he seemed, he just seemed looser to me. You know, he just, it just, I don't know. Refreshed. I, you know, yeah. yeah. His, his kids are all out of the house now. He got that family time. He got a chance to see his daughter do that. His sons are now out of the house. It's like, okay, now it's just good for him. Now it's That's football. Awesome. Yeah. I, I always kind of joke. I wonder like once his daughter left, I wonder if his wife sat down and said, Harry, you need to get back into coaching because I'm not going to be stuck in this house with you for 24, seven, 365. It's a fair question. I know that's man. what my wife would probably say. I guarantee you that it's fair. You need to yeah. find a hobby or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, absolutely yeah. right. All right. Chris Hawk says, uh, Al Gold's press conference got me excited hearing him talking about preparing for adjustments, adjustments made after every series and problem solving. See this defense being top five, uh, with Kali and mares. I think there was more to his question that Vince did not get to. Uh, but, um, could it be a top five defense? Sure, but there's a lot that we need to we need to see how the corners pan out. We need to see, you know, who starts at linebacker. There's there, how the staff works together. It's way too early for that, but I, I love the foundation that that we've seen. And Ryan, I think that's one thing that as we're seeing the college game become more and more complex. Mm-hmm. From a and, and complexity can sometimes mean volume of scheme. And complexity sometimes can mean tempo. You know, because the, the, it just it's so hard to adjust. I think his experience in the NFL, of all the areas where it could or could help or hurt, I think the adjustments and the volume that he's had to face on a weekly basis from what they're throwing at him from series to series mm-hmm. is, is going to be the thing that, that helps him really just be prepared for anything and be able to make those really fast in-game adjustments to where not are you adjusting and always playing catch-up, but you're adjusting and then you're leaping them and you're a step ahead. You know, I mean, that's the best adjusters aren't constantly playing catch-up to what they're doing is, hey, they're doing this, so we're going to do this because it's going to hurt them, not protect ourselves like about big places. We're going to do this because it's going to hurt them. That's what the best minds do, and I think that's something where I think Al Golden could, could, we could see that be a big benefit for Notre Dame. Well, and and I, everybody always hears me, I think, talk about, you know, especially when I talk about defensive players a lot, like kind of evaluating is like proactiveness versus reactiveness. And I think it's the same in coaching, right? Like there's a very, especially defensive, you think like you're reacting to what's coming in front of you and stuff. But there's like a when you get really comfortable and you, you game kind of slows down, even as a play caller there's more proactive, right? Like you think a couple steps ahead, it's like the chess versus checkers analogy, right? So I, I mean, coach golden has been doing this a long time and he's been on multiple levels. He's been on multiple roles. I'm excited about it just cause I, I, everything I've heard, every person that I've talked to about coach golden has said nothing but positive things. So I'm excited to see what it looks like. And I mean, he has obviously a lot of talent to work with. So I, mm. I, 
I, I think there's going to be a lot of adjustments, a lot of sub package opportunities. And there's, I mean, hopefully it gives more kids opportunity to play too, which I think, I think, I don't think coach Golden will be inopportune to, you know, getting some players on in kind of maybe simplistic roles early on, if that's kind of what their talent dictates, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a super chat from Q Kibbs. What about Tyrod Taylor for the Buckner comp? I think I think Ty, I think Buckner brings a lot more passing potential to the table than Tyrod. Yeah, does. yeah, he's just yeah, Tyrod just seems little... like an older version of Jalen Hurts to me. Yeah, that's not a that's a good comp. That's a pretty good comp. Um, yeah, I just I just think that like again, it's you, for a guy like a Tyrod when he was his best, and I I know he I think he took to the Bills to a playoff appearance at one point he was just kind of a solid starting quarterback you wanted to limit the you wanted to limit the the um the impact that he had on the passing game or the the responsibilities he had as a passer so I, I don't think that you have to limit anything with Tyler Buckner I just think mm-hmm. that he needs time and you need to give him the opportunity to prove what the talent is because the talent's there mm-hmm. it's again I know people oh it's an excuse or whatever he his last his last three years of high school, he played one season, right, mm-hmm. with the injury and the Experience season. Experience matters in that regards, yeah. Especially a qu- especially a quarterback <laughs> like that matters so much. So let's give the kid a little bit of time. I think he has a higher upside to that, but I, I understand where the comp is coming from, though. Yeah. <laughs> Here's okay. It's, we're getting a lot of quarterback questions, and I think this speaks yeah. to what you just said, Ryan. And Guinea Pig clips says, "I've heard the wide receivers talking about Tyler Buckner. And they say give him time a lot." This kind of concerns me that they are talking about how he may be good in the future, like he isn't good now. It's not about being good. This is this is what I, so much of this is just like you take a comment and it, and it says one thing, and then you take it and you just kind of turn it into something that the person that's saying it didn't mean. They're not saying. I think by twenty twenty five, Tyler Buckner is going to be ready. Nobody thought Tyler Buckner was ready to run the offense in twenty twenty one. Nobody, including Tyler Buckner. What they're talking about, and I've heard these comments, they're, it's not so much a, oh, give them time. It's more of like a wait till next year kind of thing. I mean, that's what I hear from people that I talk to. So I, I think we're reading, some of us are reading our own emotions into comments, like our own feelings into comments and kind of turning it into something that I don't think they were meant to be. I don't think any receivers are saying he's going to need time to be competent. What they're saying is, is obviously Tyler wasn't ready to be the guy last year, which we told you before the season, he wasn't going to be ready to be the guy last year, but they see the potential. They see what he does in practice. He is doing some really impressive things in practice and like, Hey, look, this guy's going to figure it out and he's going to be pretty good. Y'all need to be patient because they're responding to people criticizing Tyler. Now, not people saying Tyler won't be good down the road. They're saying, Oh, Tyler Buckner, you know, isn't doing this and didn't do that. All the negative negativity we've seen in these chats about him. And a lot of it's from people that were anointing him as the savior after the spring. And we said, pump the brakes on it. So I think, I think the biggest problem for Tyler Buckner this year was some people had realistic, unrealistic expectations for what he was going to do as a true freshman that had played one year of high school football. I think that's the bigger problem than anything Tyler Buckner did. Cause for me, I thought he was better this year than, than I thought he was going to be. I did. I thought he was more dynamic. He's bigger. I thought he did some things where his release looked cleaner than it did when he was doing, you know, as a senior when he was doing the camps and stuff. I'm I'm excited about what Tyler Buckner can bring to the table, and I and I'm I'm a little puzzled that there are so many people ready to just dismiss him or people that don't understand that what they asked him to do this year isn't because that's all they think he can do. It's just right. that that's the, the element of his game that they needed in the offense. And that's why, hey, they had him do that. So, Ryan, anything you want to add to that? 
No, no. Like I said, just give him some time. I, yeah. I think I, I think you're gonna be I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised by what Tyler Barkley yeah. can do. Agree. Joe Rebay, Brian, it always seemed to me like BK had a mindset of not playing freshman on offense unless his hand was forced. Was BK justified, or do you believe his mentality cost Notre Dame games they should have won? I think his mentality absolutely cost him games, and it wasn't just offense. Mm-hmm. I remember watching the 2011 game against Michigan as, as Denard Robinson's running all over the field, and I kept asking myself, where's Aaron Lynch and Stephon to it? Where's your two best athletes? You're asking Carlo Calabrese to, take, to chase Denard Robinson around the field? You're asking Ethan Johnson to chase Denard Robinson on the field when you got these two freaky athletes on the field. Like it wasn't just there. Do I think it cost them games they should have won? I don't think not playing freshman did. I think to your point, Joe, I think the way that you, I think the way that Joe asked this question, Ryan, mm-hmm. is good because he doesn't say, does not playing freshman cost their name games? He says, does his mentality cost their name games they should have won? And I think that's true because. The mentality is we're going to run this really complex offense and and it's not about fundamentals as much as it's about scheme. And I think that mentality that then prevents you from playing players, because if you look yeah. at the best offenses in college football right now, they're relatively simplistic. What's the criticism mm-hmm. that people have of Ohio State quarterbacks in the mo- in recent years? That they're running a simplistic offense. <laughs> they don't go through reads. That's <laughs> like right. That's yeah. what the criticism of, of some of the Oklahoma quarterbacks is the criticism of, of air raid quarterback. I mean, so mm-hmm. a lot of the dynamic quarterbacks in offenses in college football are running really simplified offenses because it's about the technique and the talent. Brian Kelly is the polar opposite of that. It's about how smart I am. And my hope is that Tommy Reese is going to be sort of that of that bridge because I don't think you have to just do I, – I believe there can be some com- complexity. I think you can go too far. And I think that there needs to be a focus on fundamentals. And I think as long as Tommy Reese can can balance those two things together, I think this offense is going to be very, very explosive. And I do think that mentality did cost them some games they should have won, Joe. I think it's a very good question. Very good question. Mm-hmm. Ryan, you have thoughts on that? Well, I, w- I was going to say my, in my – I mean, because I come from a long fandom, right? Like my entire life I've been a Notre Dame fan. I mean, I'd be lying if I just sat here and said like Doran, parts of the Brian Kelly era, I was like, wow, like where's the – where's – is there no young talent that can play? Like, I mean, right. I, I, all the time, I'm just like, where are some of these freshmen? Cause you, you see some of these older vets, these fourth, fifth year guys where you're just like, I understand why they're playing, but also can we get some of those other kids involved in some aspect? Like, I'm not saying to bench those guys to completely play the freshman set 60 snaps a game. Like, I'm not saying right. that, but like, can we mix something else in? Can we get some new bodies in? Can we see different skill sets? Like there's mm-hmm. got to be something. So I would be completely lying if that wasn't something that was frustrating at times as a fan, for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, timeout, Tom. Sorry for disagreeing with you. As an next line coach, I always defend the line. Tom, I'm not upset that you disagreed with me at all. I, I don't think we disagree. That's what I'm saying. I don't think you, I don't think you, Maybe in your as an excellent line coach, you heard me say something I didn't say or misinterpret it. What I'm saying is we said Tyler Buckner because we're assuming the line's going to be good. I mean, if buddy, you've been on the show for a while, you've heard me rip the offensive line as being the reason the offense stinks for a while. So, again, I don't have a problem with you disagreeing with me. I just don't think we actually disagree here. That's that's the difference. So I hope I hope that we can finally get on the same page about this one. All right, let's get to a few more here, Ryan. Uh, super chat from David Freeman. Can NBC offer an NIL package for various learning players? Ratings are way higher when the hours are good. Uh, hey, Dante, here's a mill to star in our promos. I don't know how that works. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would imagine say, I, if they're going to have a guy run a promo that he could get paid for that. 
Sure. I would imagine, but I don't know if there's rules about like these networks and stuff. Like, can ESPN just start paying SEC players money to to run promos? I I honestly don't know the rules to that, David. I, I really, I really don't. Yeah, it's an interesting question, David. I I, I don't know. I don't know what the yeah. ramifications of part of that is either. That's yeah. it's very interesting, though. But NBC's kind of cheap, so I don't know if they would do it. <laughs> So, but if that's allowed, that would absolutely be something that would be negotiated with me uh, and the 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 next TV contract that we sign. If I'm if I'm Jack Swarbrick or whoever, th- if if that's allowed under the rules, then that's flat out going to be part of my deal. If you're going to have very- players doing anything like promo wise, you're going to pay them. Or yeah. here's you know a million dollars a year that you're going to pay us that we're going to then dispense to our players for you to use however you so choose. Right. Like I would do something like that, like that, if, if it's allowed. And again, I don't, I've never even really thought about this until David brought the question up. I, I never yeah. Cause my, my, my immediate thought is, I mean, that would be, have to be something that is negotiated independently. Right. Cause then it's, think so. yeah, that's, that's man, David, that's a great question. Man. I, I might, I don't know if the uh, schools can, can have those negotiate. I don't like right, there's, for there's a player. Lot of, right, right. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of yeah. uncertainty of, of how it all works. So I, it, and that's what's so disappointing about this whole thing is they just kind of opened the floodgates and said, what are the rules? Uh, we don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll make it up as we go along. As Maybe. we go, yeah. We might just not do anything because we're the NCAA and we're idiots. Uh, <laughs> people say, you know, our shows are too long. This is why This is why we do it. Having to leave IB for a work meeting and then coming back to discover still going on is like finding dollar bills in the couch cushion. <laughs> I love that, Alan. So here's the thing. I've had people say, like, oh, the show's too long. Hey, look, if you only want to listen for 30 minutes – it's not a thing where if you start watching, you're not allowed to turn it off. You can turn it off after five minutes, to, but there's clearly a lot of people that like the longer shows. And as long as the people see, keep watching, we're going to keep doing them. And as long as there's, I mean, we're not going to get to all the questions today and we're two hours and 40 minutes in. We're not, there's about 50 questions we're not going to get to today. And our numbers are still as good as they've been. So if you don't like longer shows, it's cool, buddy. It's a free country. Turn it off after 20 minutes. Some people like the longer shows. And we've just found that the longer shows, as long as the content is good, allows for the because the people who like longer shows have no recourse if we turn it off after 45 minutes mm-hmm. whereas the people who only listen for 30 minutes can turn it off and, and they can fast forward they can you know there's all types of things they can do okay blaine tiller says any thoughts on maurice crumb being named the co-dc at Ole miss this upcoming year how about that his uh if i'm correct ryan his o coordinator is charlie weiss jr yes and his yep. d coordinator is maurice crumb so <laughs> there's awesome, a, a notre man. dame connection at Ole miss this year it was a blast from the past, man. I, I hadn't heard Maurice Crumb's name in a long time. I'm like, oh, he's yeah. a good football player, man. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And, then, and then, like you said, the Charlie Weiss Jr. layer, too. I'm like, wow, that's that's crazy that yeah. on one staff. But good for Maurice Crumb, man. Again, I haven't heard his name in a while. It's really cool to see. Wasn't though. he at Western Kentucky this year? I'm not I even believe. sure. Not even I sure. I think he was at Western Kentucky. And they their defense was not um their defense was not great this year, but I think a lot of that was they yeah, he was the defense coordinator at West Kentucky. I think gotcha. a lot of that has to do with how they play offense because oh, yeah, they are a they play the air raid too. They're yeah, all a there. true yeah. air raid. Like if we can score in 15 seconds, we're going to score in 15, <laughs> and we're going to throw it a lot. And there's going to be more plays and things like that. But um, you know, clearly Lane Kiffin saw something in him. So good for him. I always liked Mo Crumb, man. I, he was and he was on a couple of those you know revitalized Notre Dame. At least we thought teams in 05 he's a good player man yeah. he's a good player yeah he was this is just funny and petty but i'm gonna bring it up anyway <laughs> oh we were talking about brian kelly's work ethic stymie snurdly said bk has twerk ethic 
just had to throw that up there. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Irish one asks Brian, what was Notre Dame's best recruiting class in your opinion? So I can only go by like sort of my sort of adult life. I can't compare a class since now to the 90 class. I just, I don't have the, you know, again, the knowledge of what it was coming out. I would say that Notre Dame's best recruiting class, in my opinion, coming out of high school in the last 15 or so years was the 2013 class. And you think about the number of impact players that class brought, you had Malik Zaire quarterback, who I still think would have been, you know, he was pretty good when he was able to play. You had Torian Folston, you know, who had, was like fourth all time after two years of most yards for a freshman sophomore, Will Fuller. You look at Durham Smythe, the tight end was drafted. You had Mike McClinchy on the offensive line. Steve Elmer would have been drafted if he didn't, you know, quit football after his junior year. You, you look at Hunter Bivens started games from that class. Colin McGovern started games from that class. You had Isaac Rochelle who was drafted out of that class. Eddie Vanderdos was drafted out of that class. Jalen Smith was drafted out of that class. Would have been a first-round pick if not for his issues. I still believe if Max Redfield doesn't get in trouble, he probably gets drafted just on his athleticism alone. If he didn't have the off-the-field stuff, I think Max gets drafted. Uh, Eliza shoot, no, he was Elijah was 2012. You had Cole Luke in that class. That was a heck of a class. I mean, that that class added a lot of. We talk about how the 2015 team was Notre Dame's most talented team. Well, the 2013 class provided a lot of that talent that we look at from that 2013 uh, that that 2015 roster. So for me, it's still 2013. 2022, I will say this was the most balanced class of, of Kelly's tenure. And I will say this, if they don't fall apart and lose the receivers at the end, I think that class could have had a chance to, co- to compete. If you're just looking at how they were as high school players, right? Cause Will Fuller wasn't considered as good as Tobias Merriweather and CJ Williams coming out of high school. Right. So if you just look at them as recruits, I would, I would say that the 2022 class had a chance to be that, to be the best. Before that, the best class they had, I'll probably have to go back. Uh, I'd probably have to go back to Ryan. I think it was, was it the 03 class? I think it was 03 class was a great Notre Dame class as well. When, when you, and again, this is more, this is more looking at what it became, not mm-hmm. what it was. Cause again, it was before I didn't, really study recruiting classes back then. I was just getting into college coaching and all that. But that class had Brady Quinn at quarterback, Travis Thomas at, at, at running back, who ended up becoming starting linebacker, John Carlson at tight end, Jeff Samarja, Chinadam and who's an NFL player. Yep. Uh, it had it had uh, Tom Zibikowski, John oh, Sullivan, it. NFL player, Ryan Harris, NFL player. You had Trevor Laws, NFL player. Victor Abiyamiri was a five-star. And you had uh, Freddie Parrish, who's a top 100 player, and Ambrose Woodson. So the non – like going to – I think that was the class. And then, of course, the 2008 class was was probably pre-Kelly. That was probably the best Notre Dame class from a recruiting standpoint, I would say, because that class had – I mean, just as a recruiting class, you had a receiver. You had Michael Floyd, five-star, Deion Walker. You had Kyle Rudolph, five-star. Joseph Fourier was in that class. He's an NFL player. Jonas Gray. Dane Chris was a five-star recruit. Offensive line-wise, you had Trevor Robinson, who was a top-100 recruit. Lane Cleveland was a four-star. Braxton Cave was a four-star uh, mm-hmm. on offense. And then on defense, you had 
you had uh, Darius Fleming, who was a four-star top 100 guy, NFL player. Steve Filer was a top 100 caliber player. Sean Swinar was a top 150 guy. Ethan Johnson was a top 100 guy. Capron Lewis Moore was a top 100. Was I mean, was not highly ranked, but ended up becoming a good player. Robert Bland, Jamor Slaughter. And I'll still say this. If that class had Robert Blanton, Jamora Slaughter, and Dan McCarthy. If Dan McCarthy, and I know Notre Dame coaches who feel this way too, if Dan McCarthy doesn't have all the injuries, he would have been the best of that secondary group. People thought he was special because mm-hmm. he was a great athlete, but he just he got hurt immediately. So he just had multiple injuries when he got to Notre Dame, but he was a special athlete. So I'd say that probably is the only other class that could rival that oh, that 13 class in regards to what it was coming out of high school. In my opinion, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Ryan. No, no, like I said, a lot of that's you, before um, your time. Yes, I mean, if, if that's before bit. my time. Uh, you know, it's definitely mm-hmm. before your time. It's pretty cool hearing that it's 2003 class, though, man. I just got flashbacks like yeah. Zivikowski, Abby Amiri, Trevor Laws, like it's Samarja, awesome John Carlson. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, Ryan Harris and John Sullivan. I mean, that was a heck of a class. John and then Sullivan that, was a damn good center for a while yeah. in the NFL, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then that, then Ty was like, because that's a class Ty put together after the 02 season. And then the next two classes were just garbage. Absolute mm-hmm. garbage. Jim K with Super Chat. Hey, guys, great show. Thank you, Jim. What current offensive lineman do you believe stands to improve the most under Coach Eastand and what? That's a good mm-hmm. question. I mean, let's, my, go, my with, is, let's go with yeah. veterans. But can I just – let's go yeah. – because every every young player has got to improve a lot, right? So I think sure. – so, so let's say what, what non-rising sophomores would you throw in that group? Non-rising sophomores. Um, I mean, I mean, one would be. I was gonna say Patterson, but I'm gonna leave him out. You know who I'm excited about? I don't know if this is weird. Like, I don't know if people are gonna disagree with this. I'm excited for him to work with Andrew Kristofic. I don't know why, yeah. man, but I, I think Andrew Kristofic has a really nice blend mm-hmm. of athleticism and flexibility. I think he's got developing power still. Like I think that there's untapped potential with Andrew Christophic. So I'm excited to see what coach does with him. Andrew was always a guy that I thought had the highest ceiling of that 19 class. Talented but, he was, kid, but he was raw, right? Yeah. That was the thing is like, he, he was a basketball player. He was, he was kind of more of a defensive lineman early. You know, it's like offensive line came late. Then he shows up in Notre Dame and you've got a no line coach that doesn't know how to develop players. I mean, he just doesn't. Yeah. And there's a reason when you lost all the hairy guys, you immediately became what they became this year, right? Like Oklahoma's never had that big of a drop off when they lose four offense, and they've had them. They've had mm-hmm. years. Remember the year uh, they had Cody Ford, and they lost like four starters from that unit. The next year they went out, still rushed for 200 yards a game. Now they weren't as yep. good as they were the year before, but they were still good. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame went from really good to crap on offensive yeah. line for the most part. And I don't think the young guys like Zeke Carell, he was he was one that kind of pops in my head. Tosh Baker would be one because I think he was so raw. Sure. He was never coached. The problem for one. Tosh is it's just he's now going to get passed up by Joe Walton, it's, Blake. It's going to be tough. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to be tough there. Uh, but but I like the Kristoffic one. I, I, that's that's I mean because when you take the young guys out, right? He is one that I say, boy, that. Um, I, I like that one because I think the power part, we haven't seen him play with the power he's capable of, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. of how he was coached. Here's the other thing about Andrew Krasov. Here's something I've been told. Andrew's a kid that needs a little bit of a kick in the butt. Okay. And I don't think Jeff Quinn was capable of that. I think Andrew Krasov, being a Pittsburgh kid, is going to really like the fact that Harry 
crushes them all the time. Like, and I don't mean mm-hmm. like just on, I think he needs that. I think he, I think there's so much untapped potential for him to your point, Ryan, that mm-hmm. with the coach, that's going to always be on him and pushing him and just really getting on him. I think you, I think he's the guy that to your point that you could see the, like, wow, he was just a solid serviceable player last year that could go to, wow, where'd that kid come from? I, I right. think you're right. I just remember him when he was, cause he's a Pine Richland kid, right. Mm-hmm. Coming out. And mm-hmm. I remember he was, I mean, he was like a, a I, cause I remember, I think he was only like 260, 270 pounds coming out. Right? right. And he was just like a really nice athlete. And I remember like, I mean, you could have sold me him coming out like that. He would have been a future left tackle at Notre Dame because of his foot quickness and just the, you know, the talent level he has. And obviously fitting inside now, if he's able to, you know, develop that power a little further and he's able to, you know, hone the craft as far as hand placement and ability to finish and all those nuances of playing offensive line that, I mean, the talent's easy in my opinion to see. So I'm mm-hmm. excited if he's one of the guys, Jared Patterson is one that like, I also think is, I mean, he's only going to have him for a year. So it's, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, quick turnaround obviously. But I mean, if Jared Patterson has been as good as he has being developed under coach Quinn. I mean, I would just want to see what he is with right. a year under coach. He's saying like, I think that it could be revolutionary yeah. for him. Cause technically, like you said, Jared's got one year left. Yeah. Technically Andrew Christopher could have three. Right. Cause of the COVID year he could mm-hmm. have 22, 23 would be his fifth normal fifth year. And then 24 would be his sixth year. Now I think if Harry, he does the job that, that with Christopher that you and I are thinking could happen. I don't think he comes back for a sixth year. I think he, you know, it's going to be at that point be a three-year starter essentially, and kind of, he he'd be in the Aaron Banks. I mean, because Aaron Banks wasn't a three-year starter per se, because he but he started half of a second year. Because we've talked about how the third year is when we've seen Harry Heastan Lyman really take off, right? Like Q was really good in four, fifteen. He was really good in sixteen. He became an all-world guy in seventeen. You know, McGlinchey was, you know, fourteen. Four, uh, fifteen was pretty good. Sixteen was, was solid. 17 really took off. I mean, that's just kind of was the the year that we saw with all these Notre Dame kids. We saw the Liam Eikenberg, his third year in the starting lineup. He, you know, he was he went and became a great player. And I think that was also an offseason where he spent a lot of time with Harry Eastan. So I think I think that would be the thing too, is that fifth year for Andrew Christophic would be his third, basically his third year in the starting lineup, although it'd be only number two for Harry Eastan. So that's an interesting one. Uh, Florida Irishman says, I watched the in- an interview with Dante Moore and I fear we are trailing two to three schools. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that people, uh, I would not put a lot of stock in those interviews because you're, you're answering the questions that you're being asked. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I don't, cause like somebody said, saying like, I watched an interview with Jason Moore and it was the same person. I think they interviewed Dante Moore. I think no Adam Gorney interviewed Dante Moore. It was like, well, it seemed to talk a lot about Penn state. Well, you watch the interview cause he's being asked. <laughs> It's not being asked about Notre Dame. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? And that's more of a rivals issue than it is Notre Dame's not. It's just look, I'm not saying they're gonna get him for sure. I like where Notre Dame is at. I would much rather be in Notre Dame's shoes than anybody else's shoes. And I don't know how many more more ways I can say that, Ryan. Yeah, no, I I, I mean just again, we'll reemphasize this. I and I actually did listen to this, just a little snippets, and it's it's the same thing that, that you're saying. It's you know. Again, can only answer the questions that you're asked. Right. And I mean, I didn't even, even though, you know, obviously there was some whatever, I uh, I didn't leave that interview feeling any differently. Because, uh, right. I mean, I mean, obviously I have a little bit of a different, you know, understanding of the rec- mm-hmm. of his recruitment. But still, like, there was nothing in there that I thought was like, oh, man, that's that's not good type of thing. So they're fine. They'll, they'll be OK. It, it'll work yeah. itself out. Yeah, we'll be good. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, goodness. Ben Tarnoski, what are your thoughts on Jaden Daniels in the portal? Ryan, I'm asking you this one. What are yes. your thoughts on Jaden Daniels in the portal? Big potential, but is he overrated or was it a poor system? Is your opinion, is he worth pursuing or stick with who we have? So I'm going to answer for both of us. I don't <laughs> think either of us want Notre Dame to pursue Jaden Daniels, correct? So let's yeah. take that part out because I think the rest of it is an interesting thing I'd like to get your thoughts on. Is your yep. thoughts on him? Is Does he have big potential? And if you were a system, if you were a team that needed a quarterback, mm-hmm. okay, would he be a guy that you would pursue? Why or why not? So I, that's that's where where I wanted to to focus on because I think it's a good question yeah. if you take the Notre Dame piece out of it. It's it's bad times right now in Arizona State, man. It's yeah. not looking great right now. Um, Jane Daniels is very talented. Like he's six mm-hmm. three, got a big arm, really nice athlete. He's had a difficult time putting on weight. I think he played his freshman year at one hundred and sixty five, hundred and seventy pounds. He's mm-hmm. only up to one hundred eighty five. Yeah, so he doesn't like, look he needs, that much bigger now. No, he's like one eighty five max. Yeah. So like he needs to, he needs still needs to bulk up. But there is absolutely potential. Yeah. Like there, I mean, again, arm strength, athleticism. There is a lot of things behind the scenes from it, you know, just structurally, you know, and that program that was holding back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then also the talent on the field is favorite Chad White, who's a nice running back, but the offense line's average. The wide receivers aren't great. They've had the, they had the abbreviated season two years ago. That didn't help his development at all. So there's certainly upside to a Jane Daniels. And if I was a team that needed a quarterback, yes, I would be in the market a hundred percent. Notre Dame. Nope. Uh, not the right fit in right. my opinion, but they're yeah, he's a, he's a very talented quarterback. You could definitely sell me on him having a right. future somewhere for sure. Yes. I, I think that the other thing too is, is in 2019, he had Rob Likens as his offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I think Rob Likens is a good offensive mind. Then they went to Zach Hill from Boise, who I don't think much of. To be mm-hmm. completely honest with you, and to your point, all the things you mentioned are true. I think the other thing that hurt him is only playing four games as a sophomore because of COVID. Yeah, I think that hurt his development as well. But I think he's got a super live arm. He is not accurate at all. But when you watch him play, it's all technical stuff. Yes, it's, it's all. Let me rephrase. It's all correctable technical stuff. If Jaden Daniels goes to a place with good quarterback coaching. I would say yes. And I'll say this. If Tyler Buckner, let's just say Tyler had a devastating injury and he couldn't play this year, I would absolutely can at least have a converse. Now, I don't know if Jaden Daniels would be a fit at Notre Dame and all that. I've heard some things about the mom. and you know, But like if Jaden Daniels was a fit at Notre Dame, could get into school, and Tyler Buckner was out, I would absolutely mm-hmm. look at Jaden Daniels. He's a very talented kid. And I think he would – I think he's a guy that Tommy Reese – he would flourish under Tommy Reese because there would be some structure. He would be allowed to, I mean, they throw a ton of deep balls and, and the offensive line stinks. And he, 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 he's a kid that if you're a quarterback needy team and you still need a guy, that's the guy that you need to go for. And I, and I guarantee you there's some coaches that have taken transfers. that are like, man, why didn't this kid jump on the portal a month ago? I'd rather have him than the kid we took. You know, right. So. And that, that, ha- that happens more. You think, man, I, yeah. I talked to a director of um, a pro liaison for a school one time who was, I, I was just like, Hey, this, this one quarterback entered the portal, just so you know, type of thing. And he's like, uh, we already signed a kid, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So like that stuff happens, man. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. to your point, Jay Daniel's arm is live, man. Like he, there's, there's talent there. He's, mm-hmm. he's an NF, he's an NFL level talent. He has, talent, not, yeah. he has not been developed properly, and he's a very nice athlete as well. There is a lot to like. So yeah. for a team that has structure, yes, bring him in. Because he has, like you said, I mean, he was a 
So he was a true sophomore last year during an abbreviated season. So that means that he would still have been a sophomore eligibility this year. So he right. still has two more years yeah. potentially. Like it's not just a one yeah. and done type of situation right. too. And he might be even be graduating. I'm not sure exactly what his graduation status is. Be curious. So we'll yeah. see. Because yeah. third year he's an early enrollee. Yeah. I, I thought they used him too much as a runner this year. True. I think yeah. he's more of a kid that's a passer that can run. Absolutely. And they tried to turn him into a runner that can pass. That's something else that I think mm-hmm. has hurt Jaden the last two years that I don't think would have been true if Rob Likens was still the offensive coordinator. I think they would have used him differently. So, yes, I he's a kid that I'm very encouraged by, very mm-hmm. encouraged by. Uh, I did want to address this. Scott McDonald caught on with IB after the finish of the 21 season. Since you guys aren't a fan of the TV coverage, do you or have you considered doing live watch-alongs to interact with fans during games? The problem is we couldn't we couldn't play the game during this mm-hmm. show. There's 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 legal things there. Copyright. The other part of it is right. The other part of it is is we we write articles. We're working during the game too, so it'd be hard for me to kind of do that. We've looked into maybe doing some things uh, with Blue Wire down the road where we would do something like that for non Notre Dame games, which would be kind of fun. But with Notre Dame games, because we're working, you know, we're writing articles. I'm tracking stuff. It'd be hard for me to to engage with you all in a way that's fun and enjoyable and worth it, worth your time while also working and putting out content. So maybe down the road, if we've grown enough and Ryan's carrying enough of my, you know, carrying, carrying the site enough and, and doing all those kind of things that I can kind of do some of that fun stuff. But uh, right now it's just not, it's something we've thought about. There's just so many, there's so many roadblocks to being able to do something like that. And, and honestly it, we could do it, but we couldn't make money off of it. And with all due respect, I, I mean, this is still my business. I still have a mortgage to pay and <laughs> salaries to pay uh, now to people who have mortgages to pay. Uh, so That's it fair. just, um, you know, it's, there's some things we're going to do at Irish breakdown on the premium board that we don't monetize directly. Mm-hmm. But that's one of those things on game day. I mean, that's a big game day is a big money maker for us. I mean, it's just we put out we try to put out a lot of content. There's a lot of eyes on it, and uh, right now it's just not in the cards. I hope down the road. Now there are some people trying to do some things where they're signing contracts would allow you to kind of do because like you, they see the popularity of like Ian, you know, the Mannings and stuff doing that stuff. Like I've, that'd cast, be fun yeah. to do. That'd be a lot of fun to do if there was a way to monetize it and 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 legally do it. Where we're not getting in trouble and getting strikes on our youtube channel because we've you know we've put something copyrighted on there yeah well i was going to say said so that manny cast could be the driscoll cast there you go no, i'd be the ib cast because it's not IB about cast. me it's it'd be about us it's about all of Fair. our knowledge and it being fun so if you notice i don't have any shirts to say driscoll on it or you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's about it's about irish breakdown because irish breakdown for a while was just me on the site but the goal has always been to make irish breakdown about a collect a collection of very talented people and I feel like if I were to put the Driscoll thing on there, although like, you know, it's, you know throw the boss some love. It's catchy. Um, it's catchy. It takes away from their talent, which is why I didn't put my name in the company. Uh, like some people originally told me to. So, yeah, like we did. The, when we first saw our podcast, it was Irish Breakdown with Brian Driscoll. That's about as far as I go with putting my name on stuff. But um, yeah, anyway. Uh, David Solomon says, I hope Brian is right and I'm wrong. If we go 11 and one for the next four years and we're more than likely on the outside looking in and every year, if there are four power five undefeated conference champs, this is the whole problem with that. You're like, you're using the most extreme has never happened before examples of, okay, if there are four 13 and 0 power five conference champions, yeah, no name's going to be out those years. 
But when has that ever happened, though, David? Right? That that I think the most we've seen is like three. Right? I mean, we've never had four undefeated teams in the playoffs. Playoff, correct? Not not once. And matter of fact, we've had more years with no undefeated teams than we've had with three undefeated teams. Because in 2017, there wasn't a single undefeated team in the playoff, right? Uh, I think in 20 in 2019, there were three undefeated teams. I think Ohio State was undefeated in 19. And I think Clemson was undefeated in 19, I believe. We know LSU obviously was. But like 2018, we had three undefeated teams, I believe. Uh, Alabama was undefeated. Clemson was undefeated, barely. And Notre Dame was undefeated. But that was only two conference champions that were undefeated because Notre Dame wasn't a conference champion. Oh, so Oklahoma had a loss that year. And so we sure in the perfect in the scenario in which there are four 13 and 0 power five conference champions, yes, Notre Dame's going to be out. In the unlikelihood of that ever happening, you're correct. But I'm going off, David, of my uh, my argument to you is let's look at what has actually happened. Right? We've had what 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. We have eight college football seasons, right? Since the playoff has started. Notre Dame has made the playoff in two of them. Okay. Once they were undefeated, once they were not undefeated. In two of the other years, so that's half the years, Notre Dame climbed up into the top four, but dropped out because of a loss or poor play. So in half the years, Notre Dame with a loss. Or no, three of the eight years, Notre Dame with a loss has climbed into the top four with a loss. So evidence would show that this notion that Notre Dame has no margin for error, there's no actual basis in fact, right? And that's all we can deal with, right? We could talk about what if, hey, Ryan, what if there's that year where all five power five teams are undefeated? Is Notre Dame going to make it in if they have one loss? Probably not. Yeah. (laughs) But when does that ever happen? I'm just going off, David, of what we've seen. And you can hope that I'm right. I think we all hope that I'm right. But, I mean, I've already been proven that I'm right. Because last year, Notre Dame made it with a loss. Notre Dame lost by 24 points the day before the committee made their decision. I mean, <laughs> how much more evidence do you need? And they took Notre Dame over an undefeated Cincinnati team. So I don't know how, uh, how what more, you know, data you need to to realize that that the committee views Notre Dame far more favorably. This is the funny thing. A lot of Notre Dame fans talk rightly about how Notre Dame gets a negative, you know, ESPN's not fair. There's a lot of anti-Notre Dame bias. The one national entity, in my opinion, Ryan, you tell me if you agree or disagree with this, that has been very pro-Notre Dame has been the college football playoff committee. They've been very pro Notre. You could argue they didn't deserve to be number five this year. Before, you could argue they have number four based on who they beat, which is no one, Mm -hmm. right? I mean – so I would argue that the college football playoff committee has been the one pro Notre Dame entity that has existed in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts we, are on that, Ryan. We, we went into championship weekend and I was shocked. I'm like, wow, there only needs to be like two things that happen in Notre yeah. Dame to stick into this playoffs. With like, zero wins over top 25 teams. Right. And everybody knew like, you know, 11 and one, that's great or whatever. But like Notre Dame didn't deserve to be in that position, but they were still potentially there because – Notre Dame is recognized, right? And the playoff committee recognized still. Right. So right. So they they are respected by the playoff committee. I just don't I don't buy the notion that they have to be. Hey, let's not forget too, Notre Dame with one loss got in over an SEC team with one loss. Let's sure. not forget that either in 2020. Mm-hmm. 
So that would be Texas A&M. So I just, I don't, I don't accept the premise because there's no, if there was evidence to support that, then I would say, yeah, you know, they, they need to do this because this is the evidence of that has been the case, but that evidence just hasn't been there. Mike Nolan, super chat. Why all the vitriol at Tommy for being petty? I assume that relates to the Parker hire. Didn't see any evidence of that at the presser. Mike, I, 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 my theory is that, that Tommy Reese is catching a lot of arrows from people who who would ra- would like to throw them at Brian Kelly, but he's not here to take him anymore. That's Gotta throw him at someone. I yeah, guess. that's my. He's the he's the holdover from the BK era, and I think he's taking a. And I think there's you know I, I think there's still people that that think because he wasn't this as a player he he that means he's not this as a coordinator, and I think those things are irrelevant. Hmm. So I, I, that's, I, I that's the I mean Mike, this only thing I can come up with. And as far as the petty to 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 Parker thing, I mean. I, Okay, uh, an assistant coach didn't agree with who the head coach wanted. I I think that's being turned into this drama soap opera thing that it, that that stuff happens all the time. I guarantee there are times when Marcus Freeman, as a coordinator, had a coach that was hired that he didn't want to be the guy and he wasn't happy about it. I guarantee that's happened. That's happened yeah. to almost every coordinator in the history of college football. Because at the end of the day, you're going to give a lot of freedom, but it's sometimes the head coach is like, nope, that's the guy that I want. I mean, look, I I know for a fact there were guys on staff in 2017 that Mike Elko didn't want. I know for a fact that there were guys on during Clark Lee's tenure on staff that he didn't necessarily want. I, fact, 100% certainty. But the difference is, is now those things are being reported for whatever reason. And I think Tommy's catching the brunt of that. And there's this assumption that he's just being petty. No, I mean, an offensive coordinator once, it's like, the hey, if I'm going to cook dinner, I want to be able to go shop for the groceries, right? I mean, that goes back to Bill Parcell saying that. I mean, it... Every it's like it's no different than an NFL head coach wanting to be able to make personnel decisions. You know, I, so I don't I don't think it's the issue that people are making it out to be. There are far more things I'm concerned about with Tommy Reese than that. Now, do I think he you know, maybe he shouldn't have expressed those things to people that are just going to go run and report it. Maybe that would be maybe he needs to think better about that. But I think this is being turned into something that it's not. Now, if he was complaining about all these things and he was threatening to leave, if you don't have okay, that's crossing a line that like, okay, I'm the head coach. And if you want to leave, cause I want to hire this guy, then you can leave. But if it was that, but I've never heard that it was that. So Sean and I will talk about that also a little bit more tomorrow. Here's one for you, Ryan, for Felix Fournier. Ryan, which cute quarterback in the 2023 class is most likely to see a Drew Aller like rise in the rankings during his senior season? Interesting question. Uh, so Brian, do you remember originally, cause I know obviously Aller, you know, the, the rise he's talking about, do you remember where he was originally kind of like throughout the process? Cause I know he rose to what he was like a, probably around a hundred yeah. top 100 type of he player, was right? Unranked at, at going into the se- his senior season, he was unranked. Wow. Yeah. Which I think yeah. was a misevaluation. I mean, everybody here knows I love Jareller, but he was, he was unranked. I think initially he was even a three-star on Rivals wow. and then went to a four-star and then jumped up. So, yeah, so I'm looking at the the Rivals. The first time he jumped into a, a top 250 for Rivals mm-hmm. was he jumped up to one number 195 last September. Now, I believe 247 bumped him up much sooner than that. Okay. So, and again, part of this was COVID, shortened mm-hmm. seasons and, and different things. So, uh, not getting to camps and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, that that was a uh, that was a unique a unique situation. Yeah. 
And Felix, I, I feel like I just I feel like I just haven't gone deep enough into the quarterbacks to have a, a good answer, right? Like I've stuck to what the Notre Dame board looks like and offers that they have kind of lent to the twenty twenty three class. So might need a you know little more of a evaluation of some guys before I have an educated, you know, right? Because outside of the Chris Vizinas of the world, the Jackson Arnolds of the world, the Avery Johnson of the world, I haven't dove much into what the other quarterbacks look like. Mm-hmm. I've just kind of been really, you know. Uh, <laughs> tunnel vision to right. who Notre Dame's eyeing, who Notre Dame looks at, that type of thing. Right. So. And and I think a couple guys have already started to see that rise. I think Chris Vizina's one. I mean, he was a three-star not that long ago. His and is just happening a little. Yeah. yeah, right. Now it's just it's happening a little bit sooner. Uh, Ricky Collins is a guy that I like a lot from Louisiana that's seeing a, a, a rise sooner. So I think COVID is why Drew Aller's rise happened so much later. And I think so normally that happens kind of in this, you know, the lead up to a senior year. But uh, I think Vizina is probably the best case in this class, but it's just starting sooner. And if a guy is going to make that kind of rise, I mean, I, I don't I, like you like Brian said, I mean, we're, Notre Dame's offered a bunch of dudes, so they haven't given us a, a chance. Even, even a guy like Avery Johnson's a, considered like a top 250 guy already, you know, so and he's a he's a raw kid on the board, so. Right. I don't I don't really know of any guys. I think that Marcus Stokes kid that Notre Dame offered recently is a kid that could maybe be that because he's like a three star, like way down there. But mm-hmm. I still there's a lot I need to see from him. The kid from yeah. Florida. Couple more here. Uh, Sean S shot the tw- uh, the 23 offensive hall can get remote uh, the shot that the 2023 offensive hall can get remotely close to the defensive hall. Can they round this thing out beyond more and Tate? It's a good question. It is a good question. I mean, so in theory, right, if if Notre Dame lands a Dante Moore, then there's that snowball effect where mm-hmm. there is a Carnell Tate that moves along, and then Harry mm-hmm. Heastane handles his business on the offensive line side of things. You can get close. I, I don't know if you would ever get there, right? Because, I mean, still, the defensive class is so far ahead right now, and there's just so many. I mean, again, Keon Keeley, five-star. And there's other guys on the defensive side of the ball. We talked about Samuel and Pemba earlier, right? Like they're in play for some highly rated guys still on the defensive side of the ball. So I think, Sean, to answer your question, though, Notre Dame definitely can close the gap big time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they can necessarily over overtake defenses because they're just off to such a good start, and they're still on a couple of those highly ranked guys still. Right. The de- If the defensive class – the only way for me, no matter how good the offensive finishes. I think the only way the offense could catch the defense is if the defense finishes with no one on the same caliber of what they have now. So like right. they can't get Jason if they were Moore, done. Right. Yeah. Or if they just kind of like, instead of getting Level Jason out. Moore, they get like a Brooks bar. Right. Yeah. Like, because I would say there's a chance it's going to be tough, but there's a chance that Notre Dame could legitimately finish with Dante Moore, Cardinal Tate, Rodney Gallagher, Braylon James, Samson Okanlola, I think, is the best shot I have at pronouncing that. Monroe Freeling and Charles Jagasaw. I don't if if the defensive class just kind of bats 50-50 on the top Mm -hmm. guys on the board, get a Jason Moore and a Devin Houston. Don't get Malik Muhammad, but get Christian Gray. Don't get Caleb Downs, but get a a Ryan Yates or a King Mack or something like that. I still think the defensive class is a little bit better. A little bit better. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's close. And that would simply be because the defensive class is so great. That's a heck of an offensive class. It is. Yeah, I mean, really that's and, and you could and, and someone could come in here and argue that the offensive class is better at that point. I would say, I'd say, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you about it. It'd be close enough to where it's like, I'm not gonna, 
Like sometimes I'm like, hey, look, I just think you're wrong and I'm going to defend my point of view. I'm like, yeah, okay, I could see why you think that. I think this way, but I could see why you think that. That'd be one heck of an offensive class. But I think if you were then to put in value into this conversation, not just pure rankings, that's when you can make a case that the offensive class is better because the value of getting the quarterback and getting the impact receivers, the needs were even bigger there than maybe some of these other positions. That's fair. That's but if fair. they get like a Jason Moore and Malik Muhammad, it's ball game over. No one's in the country is going to have a better side of the ball than what the Notre Dame defense would have. I mean, uh, you know, or, or Malik Muhammad or a Caleb. I mean, they get those guys. I mean, goodness great. They already have five top 100 kids in there. I mean, two two it's... composite five-star players. I mean, it's there aren't a whole lot. Alabama signed three five-stars in the composite ranking last year. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, and they had what number two class in the country. Mm-hmm. So that's a heck of a class. That's a heck of a class. Sean S. And thank you for the super chat. And thank you for this super chat, Sean. Brian, how many hours does a head coach like um, um, Marcus Freeman work a week in a season and off season? Curious how involved the grind really is. I mean, so let's let's count that working isn't always just sitting behind a desk. Working sometimes is at home texting recruits while you're you know waiting on dinner or watching a movie. I would say coach, you know, coaches were spend a minimum, I would say ten hours a day working in some capacity. And, and during the season, it's probably more, it's probably more uh, again, when you consider what goes in, cause like if you work a nine to five and Ryan's learning this at this job, right? Like you don't have hours, you just have, I got to get this done. And sometimes it may take four, sometimes it may take 14, right? I mean, you're so sometimes working is like, you know, you know, Ryan was a teacher before, right? Am I, I'm sorry. I don't know if I could have said that or not. I'm oh, sorry. no, no, you're fine. Yeah. Um, you know, so he had to be at school by this time and school day was over then and you go home and it is what it is. This job, if he had an office to go to, he'd do his job nine to five and then he'd come home and he'd be working another four or five hours texting kids. And I mean, that's just kind of how the job is. Right. And that's how coaching is even more so. So even when you're home, you're still on the clock. I mean, when I was a coach, my wife can attest to this. I, You get phone calls at two o'clock in the morning from a player who's in jail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're working, you're on the clock. You're never off the clock. So uh, you can't say, hey, man, I'm off the clock. Call back in the morning. You know, you know you're getting up and you're going and you're bailing your player out or you're doing whatever you need to do. So, um, I mean, at minimum 10, would you say? Is that fair, Ryan? During the offseason, you'll get a little bit more time on the weekends to your family. But during yeah, the week, I mean, you're, you're on. You're on. Yeah. Yeah, it, oh, it's yeah. it's a big time grind. It's a grind, man. <laughs> yeah. Now the the best don't it's but to me, you can put in a fourteen hour day and not get a lot done. You can put a nine hour day in and get a lot done. I think I think you got to be able to find that balance too as a coach. For say, sure. What can I do from home? You know, am, am I working just to work at this point in time? I, I do think sometimes coaches aren't as efficient as they need to be with what they do, and that's what leads to 14, 15 hour days, in my opinion. So that's just a chance there. Work, work smarter, not harder. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, hey, Kalander, sorry, Killander. Any chance of the bus, Jerome Bettis being a student assistant? And what is the time of, and, and what is maybe kind of like, I don't know, about James Laronitis? I'm not quite sure what that means, Hank. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think that's, I don't think Jerome Bettis is overly concerned with being a coach <laughs> for the reasons we just mentioned. Jerome is a businessman now. And uh, that's what he's doing. And that's why he's in school. He's in school now to get a business degree from Notre Dame because he's got a lot of businesses going. And I think there's there's value for him, not just completing the degree. I think there's a sense of, I want to complete this. But there's also a sense of like, I want to complete this at Notre Dame where, you know, I'm going to get a degree from one of the best business programs in the country because he's got that on his mind. I don't I don't see Jerome Bettis. 
I would love to see him around a team. Marcus Freeman said he talks to him a couple times a week. I want to definitely see him around the team. I hope he's at practices. But as far as coaching, I don't. I don't. Because what's a student assistant do? They run and spot the ball between drills. <laughs> like they they go get the bags. I mean, Jerome Pettis isn't holding a bag for the running backs. You know what I mean? So like, you know, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And I also think that this would be a bad time to do this because I I think when you insert Jerome Bettis into the room with Dylan McCullough, it's going to take away a little bit from Dylan McCullough establishing his I'm the coach kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that would be – if maybe if Dylan was already established, it would make more sense. But I think – I just – I personally – if I was if I was in Dylan McCullough's shoes, I'd say, hey, I want Jerome Bettis around. I think he'd be a phenomenal asset. But it sort of him coaching, well, who am I taking instruction from, my coach or the Hall of Fame running back? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think – Too many voices. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a huge role. And I, I think this is a great way – so I think we're, we'll probably end it here, Ryan. Ryan, do you have a similar <laughs> prospect crush on Jaden Greathouse? Oh man, as I, me. Well, well, Zach, I don't know quite what your what your crushdom is on uh, on Jaden, but I will say that I've been enamored with his film since I watched it a couple weeks ago. He uh, just very nuanced for a junior in high school, man. Like I don't know what what better way to put it. Like as a route runner. It's I, it's one of the better I've seen on the high school level, and he just kind of has an understanding for how to attack blind spots and just get in, in and out of his breaks cleanly, set up defenders, two, 6 two, two oh six. so he's got a big frame. He can win above the rim, and th- this is Jaden Greathouse out of Texas for people that don't know, and he's um, Westlake High School. They just went 16-0. They actually beat Denton Geyer in um, – in the state championship game this past season. So he, uh, you know, 66 catches over 1200 yards, 20 touchdowns had 230 It's on seven catches and three touchdowns against Geyer in the state championship game. So he's a really good football player, man. And, and Brian brought up a good point before. It's like, you know, what's the, is how much of, of an upside is there with a kid that's that refined already at that age, which is a solid point and definitely, you know, valid t- type of conversation. But I, I think what you're seeing just as a baseline floor the kick and play, man. Really good football player. Mm-hmm. Yep, agree. We do have a super chat I need to get to before we get out of here. Brandon Plesner says, can someone explain to me what the Irish Players Club is exactly? I've seen the Twitter initiative online, but still trying to figure out what it is exactly. You and me both. Basically, from what I can tell, it's NFT. NFT. Essentially, you give money, you get things in return, and some of that is access to certain things with players. And that money is then distributed. 75% of that money is distributed to the players. I personally think it should be more, but, you know, looks like Mick is trying to make himself some dough off the backs of his teammates, which I, I guess is fine. I just, you know, whatever. Um, I wish there was someone that could have negotiated a bigger cut from the, from that with, with him. But, you know, that's one of the drawbacks of this is, you know, is you don't have that, but uh, I mean, I, Ryan, that's the best I can figure is that's about the best I can explain at this point in time is it's just a, it's a collective of money that's dispersed to the players through some, I, yeah. I, I guess they have to do things to earn it. Like they have to do this to get some of it. They have to do that to get some of it. It's not just like we get the money and we're handing out checks to the different, you get this. You, there, there has to be some sort of transactional thing going on. You get a community thing. You meet with a person that gave a certain, it's just, it's a strange, it's a very simple slippery slope. I, I, I personally don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is name image and likeness. This is just a fundraiser in my opinion. Yeah. Um, But it is what it is. 
Yeah. I simply don't know enough about it to have a, yeah, I think you, I think you summed that up the best way you could. I, I don't have anything really to add because it's yeah. just, I'm not educated enough on the, on the topic to yeah. have a general understanding, yeah. I guess. And so. that was even me listening to Marcus Freeman try to explain it last night in that, right. uh, in that video. So yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, yeah. Brandon, I, I wish I had a better answer, but I don't. And to be honest with you, I don't really care to have Mick Asif on to explain it. I just have some issues there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm against the whole notion of it. I mean, if it's, if it's allowed, Notre Dame needs to take advantage of it. Right. It, it, that I don't have an issue with that. I have an issue with the, with the entire premise of that. It's just a fundraiser that you're, and you're handing out money. Hey, you guys give money. It's pay for play. Essentially, in my opinion, is the way I look at it. And I don't like that. I, I if you want to go do a, I mean, I, I think with this whole NIL thing, there needs to be a transaction. Hey, you do this for me. You promote this product for me and I'm going to pay you this amount of money. You rock these shoes and I'm going to pay you this. Like just like online, you know, social media influencers, right? Like, Hey, you promote five times a week. I have this deal with built bar. You know, we, we give a, we promo code, we push the show and you know, we get a certain amount of the profit proceeds of the money that people use, use a promo code. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a transaction there. I'm, I'm fine. Hey, you rock our sweaters and put them out on social media and we'll pay you X amount. I think there should be some sort of give and take there. That's what you're making money off your name, image, and likeness. Just putting a bunch of money into a big pool that you then distribute to players. How you see fit is not, it is not what I value in my opinion. So that's just kind of, kind of my thing real quick question before we wrap up Tom out, Tom, Brian, I can't find my discount code. How do I contact you? Uh, Brian at irishbreakdown.com. Tom, just shoot me an email and uh, email me from the email you use to sign up. So that way I can find your, find your, uh, your, your information and then get you that code. So that is definitely the way, the way uh, to, to get a hold of me. So thank you so much, everybody. Like, Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share our podcast, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. A ton going on. And of course, make sure that you are ready to listen to our show tomorrow at one o'clock. Sean and I will be there to talk about the coaching staff. And then Ryan and I will be back on Monday for the recruiting hour and a lot going on. But that's why you need to hit the notification bell because we may just decide to do a show at some point in time and you need to find out when that show is going to be. So, Uh, Ryan, great show today. Great stuff, buddy. I really appreciate it. Everybody have a great rest of your day. And thank you so much for being a part of, uh, we super chat just popped up. Dan Muller. Thank you for that super chat. Zero percent chance that Notre Dame goes after. (laughs) All set. And and I just encourage you. We, we did talk about a little bit ago. So if you got in here late, we did talk about what we like about Jane Daniels, but we just don't see Notre Dame being a school that's going to pursue him at this point in time. Uh, especially with us not knowing if he's a graduate or not. So anyway, thank you for that super chat though, Dan. I wanted to get that in before we took off because if you give us some of your hard-earned money, we feel that you deserve to have your voice heard. And when we don't do that, it's usually because we just miss it. We apologize. It's never personal. So anyway, so Ryan, everybody, thanks for the show today. Everybody have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks so much for being a part of the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.